Get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, save, retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. This is the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. everyone and happy Friday from the opening drive on 101 ESPN with Brooke Grimsley and Carrie Davis. I'm Randy Carricker. Seven o'clock, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Quite a three hours of sports talk coming up. How are you kids doing today? I'm thankful that it's Friday, Randy. This diet is a little, 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 little uh, prayer for a Friday. Yeah. I, I'm, this diet is uh, it's wearing me thin, Randy. No, yeah, it is. No, I mean literally yeah. and and figuratively. Like I'm, I'm, I'm tired. <laughs> literally and figuratively. <laughs> I'm tired. How about you, Brooke? Are you tired too? Beat down. The same. The same thing because it. It's funny that we're both doing this diet stuff at the same time. It's different, but same in the way of we're both not having carbs. And I don't know. I feel like you need carbs for energy, right? For so <laughs> for existing. <laughs> and I think we're both just kind of right there in that little plateau energy wise. I live in St. Louis. I have gooey butter cake. Oh, oh my God. Sorry, guys. Sorry, guys. Appreciate it. Yeah. Just. No, no carbs, no sugar. Like I'm. And, and let me tell you something, Randy. Okay. I, I think people do a fantastic job with their marketing and their seasoning and, and marketing in seasoning. Mrs. Dash does not taste anything like any other seasoning on the planet. It tastes like nothing, actually. Really? Oh, nothing. Okay. You don't know how much you miss salt until you don't have until you salt. You don't have salt at all, oh, right? Yeah. Gotta have a little bit of salt. Or little... sugar, even. How much yeah. that's in everything? everything. It's like 70% yeah. of all the foods that you buy. That's why it's so delicious, yeah. Randy. Mm, yeah, it's sugar. addictive. No doubt about it. Sugar. Hey, if you uh, didn't stay up late last night, what an incredible game between Gonzaga and UCLA. UCLA had a 13-point lead. Gonzaga came back to take the lead themselves with 13 seconds left in a seesaw battle. Amari Bailey hit a three-pointer to give UCLA the lead, 76-75. Gonzaga comes back down the, the floor. Justin Strother hits a three-pointer, 78-76, and the Gonzaga Bulldogs advance with a 79-76 win over UCLA in one of the great college basketball games that you'll ever see. But it might not have even been the best game of last night because earlier, Michigan State and Kansas State had a battle into overtime, 98-93. K-State won it. It was back and forth the entire game. It was phenomenal. Florida Atlantic was down at halftime, 27-22 to Tennessee, but they rolled out scoring the Volunteers 40-28 in the second half. The Owls, who? The Owls, who? The Owls beat Tennessee 62-55, to and UConn rolled Arkansas 88-65. So Gonzaga rolls on with the 79-76 win. Gonzaga, Utah, or uh, UConn, K-State, and Florida Atlantic advance from last night. Tonight, you've got four more games in the NCAA tournament. San Diego State is at Alabama. Uh, Miami is at Houston. Not at Houston. Miami will play Houston at the T-Mobile Center in Kansas City. Uh, Princeton will take on Creighton in the world-famous KFC Yum Center in Louisville. And uh, Xavier in Texas will also play tonight in KC. The Yum Center. Nice little arena. I'm done picking SEC teams. Uh, Me too. 
neither one of my picks yesterday <laughs> worked out. I am so frustrated. And both of those games were duds, pretty much, especially that Arkansas-UConn game. Like one, It was like the same Arkansas team that I covered a few years ago <laughs> under the Mike Anderson era. Like It, it was like a, a, like a different team out there. And then Tennessee, I thought that that was a shoe-in for them. They, that game should have been over. It's the number one defensive efficiency team in the country. And they couldn't handle Florida- Atlantic? Atlantic. No. Yeah. I, I just, I mean, surprising. Kansas State and Michigan State was a really good game. Oh, Went that down was to the so wire. good. That was that 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 young man Noel is a is a is a is a giant. Even though he's not a big person, <laughs> and a tough kid. He Ooh. is a tough kid. There was a point where him and the coach look. I don't know if it was orchestrated or if he was just arguing with the coach on the sideline about a play. You had a backdoor cut for a tremendous uh, alley oop dunk. It, it, it's um. They, that's a really good team yeah. and a team that is playing well and that was probably the best game yesterday. I think they were faking it, right? Like it was just to throw throw them off? I don't think so. So Really? Why. So you because think it actually happened? I, it, it, listen, he looked like he was telling the point guard to do this and the point guard is shaking him off, and finally the coach just threw his hands at him like, ah, whatever, do whatever you want to do. And as that time happened, the, the backdoor cut happens. Yep. Only those two know, or those three know, if it was something that they planned. But it was a it was a tremendous play, regardless of whether it was planned or not. And when Noel's ankle collapsed, I thought he was done. Yeah, I mean, tough, tough kid. Yeah. Just be able able to come rebound from from that t- turned ankle and get back in the game. Have 19 assists, 20 points. Just uh, the smallest guy on the floor played the biggest game of the night. Hey, if you gave up on the Blues when they fell behind 2-0 a minute 28 into the game, you made a mistake. These Blues are <laughs> relentless. Relentless, I tell you. They're down 2-0 in the first period midway through when one of their fun players comes through for them. Torpchenko drops it back. Pippen chops it. They're picked up by Walker. Torpchenko, long shot, and he scores! Torpchenko! A wrist shot from the blue line, and the Blues are on the board. Speaking of shooting the puck. Big goal, shoot the puck, and it has a chance to go in. It usually does. You shoot. That's the only. Yeah. I mean, Wayne Gretzky. Only way you can score is if you actually shoot, <laughs> right? right? 100% yeah. of the shots that you don't take don't go in. There you go. There you go. And Michael Scott. I yes, he did. Both <laughs> said that, right? The Blues get another one. They tie the game as Braden Shen scores at the 331 mark of the second. And then at 1240 of the second period, the Blues took the lead. Then Shen back for Rosen. Now on to Perico. Let's it go. Rebound. And Blay scores. Sammy Blay. And the Blues have taken a 3 2 lead. They'll call me a broken record. John, but that's why you put pucks to the net when you have bodies there, and Craig Berube has been talking about this. 3-2 Blues, they have the lead, and then just a minute and a half later, Robert Bortuzzo goes all Al McKinnis on us from his own zone. And that wrist shot blocked in front by Bortuzzo. Long pass, he's got neighbors, and he's got a breakaway. Here he comes, and he scores! Neighbors! And the Blues, a 4-2 lead. Bortz with the the long tape to tape pass. He did look like Chopper on that one. <laughs> I, I am I am Randy. Correct me if I'm wrong. I, I, and and I've been watching the games all season long. It just seems on the defensive D zone they are playing better. They are playing. There are guys sprawling out on the ice to to get in front of shots. Something that I didn't see much of earlier in the season. They are actually giving the effort that is required 
to win games. It's a shame that, that it took, you know, to this point in the season where you're seeing the consistent play. You, you had eight-game winning streaks, seven-game losing streaks. You had the ups and downs to start the season, and then you had just that mundane streak after the trades. It was it was bad, but now it feels like they are really starting to play well and play with the type of effort that Craig Berube has been talking about all season long. I think there's a couple things. Number one, Bortuzzo last night, his presence makes a difference when you're talking about stuff like that. And even though Scandella was on the ice for those two goals for Detroit early on, I think Marco Scandella being a big guy and being willing to go into the crease and at least present some somewhat of a deterrent to the opposition, I think that makes a difference. Well, somebody else who's not afraid to do that is also Sammy Blay, which resulted in that goal. I'm so happy. I tweeted this out last night. I am so happy to see Sammy Blade doing as well that he as he's doing right now. He has seven goals for the Blues, and he's just been a very good presence that they needed on this team. And also, you re-sign him for one year, so there's not much risk there as long as he stays completely healthy. But you'd hated to see what happened with him with the New York Rangers, right? That didn't pan out for mm-hmm. him. He now gets another shot with the team that he said that he wanted to be back with, that he missed these guys. You can tell that he's playing like he wants to be here, which is something at times we've seen with certain guys on this team, especially this season, it looks like they don't want to at times. But having somebody like him actually stepping up and showing, I want to be here, I want to actually help contribute, that, of course, has to rub off on some of the other guys as well. Okay, there's a difference between productive and best. But I think we can safely make the argument that of the blues the players gave up for Butchnevich and got for Tarasenko. So you've got Butchnevich, you've got Blay, you've got Tarasenko. Since Tarasenko's been traded, the three most or the two most productive guys from those deals have been Blay and Butchnevich, not Vladdy. Well, and that's why I asked, what was that, like a week ago? Like, do the Rangers kind of feel silly with some of these trades at times? Because you also look at Pavel Buchnevich yeah. and his success, and it's and Panger even said, I don't know why the Rangers gave him up. It looks like the Blues have been the winners in these Rangers trades. Yeah, and for uh, the, the Rangers, Tarasenko, 21 games, 5 goals, 9 assists for 14 points. Kerry always talks about how the Blues have disassembled but need to keep trying to win. Here's Braden Shen. Yeah, you're not... You know, you, uh, you still have to show pride and show that you care and, and uh, keep on building something around here. And uh, just because you trade everyone doesn't mean you uh, uh, feel like you have to lose in the, in the locker room. Um, you know, that's that's not, uh, you know, uh, our worries is draft picks and all that. We don't really care about that, to be honest. So we just, we're going to worry about winning, and, and that's all we can focus on. He's being a player. I mean, you got to keep going. You, you don't get to worry about what the front office does. You don't get to worry about who's coming in, who's going out. You got to show up and play because now your job is on the line. Every time you go out on that ice, you have to give your best performance or you may be the next person that they're talking about trading or releasing. And and so you want to make sure that you're giving your best effort every single time. And I think this team has has started to do this. Uh, We forgot to mention our guy, Nadeau. Oh yeah, yeah. Get a little scrap <laughs> got a little there. scrap in there yesterday. That was good. I, I am I am all for it, Randy. You know that. I'm 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 for guys punching people in the face. Oh yeah, and he does a good job of it. <laughs> you and go. you know what? He got that left going. He got it going. I, through I a was surprised jabs. about that. Yeah, because all of a sudden he kind of changed it up. He hit him like with with his left hand yep. a little bit too. But I thought it was funny what Jamie called him the Tasmanian Devil. Mm-hmm. 
I'm sure that's not the first time he's heard that, but still, I like that moving forward for him. Baseball, we told you yesterday during the show that Adam Wainwright has been diagnosed with a groin strain. John Mozalock telling John Denton at MLB.com that Jake Woodford initially will take Waino's spot in the rotation. No surprise there. Waino was doing split squats. He was on his third set of leg strengthening exercises while working out with the World Baseball Classic USA team when he felt a strain in the groin. And Waino said that his legs had started feeling better than ever in recent days. But now he is going to miss at least a few weeks with the groin strain. And Jake Woodford gets an early opportunity. Well, that's what kind of concerned me whenever you heard that. um, Is just the fact that what he was saying before, remember when he had those kind of rough starts in spring training, is that he was dealing with back spasms even before he left for the World Baseball Classic. Is he was dealing with back spasms, which led to kind of leg weakness. And that's why he was kind of citing that as an issue. It's concerning to me, but at the same time, I'd rather this happen early on than mm-hmm. middle of the season where maybe you have to think about going out and getting somebody else because guess what? You have Jake Woodford knocking on the door right there. He's ready to go. He's been probably right there with Steven Matz as one of your best pitchers throughout spring training. Definitely. And so you have that chance. You have that opportunity for him to slide in, but you just hate to see, at least from the fan perspective, not Adam Wainwright not starting on opening day, that's just, it hurts, right? Especially in his last Especially season. Yeah, his, his final yeah. season. That yeah. hurts. That's probably the most frustrating thing for him. I, I don't know if it's good to know that he got hurt while he was working out. You know, it's not something where you just, it, it popped or you were trying to pitch and you overextended yourself. I, I I think he'll be back sooner rather than later. It's just it, it sometimes it gets a little sore, you're, and that's a that's a, a a workout when you're doing those split squats and you're using a little mm-hmm. more heavier weight, trying to go a little go up a little bit more. Um, you can feel just a little bit of pull. I'm sure as soon as he felt that he stopped, so he didn't cause too much damage to himself. So it, it probably won't be that long of a a time before he returns. But you know, unfortunate for him to have to deal with it. And one last note before we uh, finish up this segment. Most golfers play a par three, 160-yard par three, and they're really happy when they take the shot and get it within four feet of the pin. Yesterday, final hole at the WGC Dell Technologies Match Play Championship being played in Austin, Texas. And Rory McIlroy is tied going into the 18th hole on a 375-yard par four. Hmm. Drives the ball to within four feet of the pin. <laughs> and he wants to dial back the ball. Yeah, that? because he says we're too good. We, 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 we like, need to challenge ourselves I'm too, a little bit I'm more. I'm too good, and look at me. Yeah, so he hit, he hit a 376 on a 375 oh, yard par four, God. and it, it was a blind shot. By the way, earlier in the day, I think it was on number 13. He had a 420 yard drive. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah, you need to. And Scotty Scheffler outdrove him. They're gonna have to make the golf courses bigger, Randy. I think you do the ball and you're fine. They've made the golf courses, but a lot of these courses are landlocked. Yeah, figure something out. You, 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 what are you going to do with Augusta National? They've already tiger-proofed it. No. You can't Rory-proof it. <laughs> 400 yards? 420. Jeez. Unbelievable. Yeah, That's those guys are, are really good. So Rory advances in the uh, in the match play championship. And by the way, he said of the, of the shot, it was good. <laughs> oh, really? That's good. That's a good shot. We're off and running here on 101 ESPN. Coming up, new St. John's coach Rick Patino is going to run a few guys off, and Carrie has some strong opinions about that. That's next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. 
There'll be a lot of players that will move on to, I hope, greener pastures. Joel's the type of person that I want to build around, and that's why I asked him to come today. I have to meet some of the other young men, but there'll be other guys that don't fit. It'll be a, a round peg in a square hole, and it, it won't work. That is the new head coach at St. John's. Rick Pitino comes over from Iona and plans on winning Big East championships right away. And like a lot of college coaches now, is planning to make pretty dramatic changes. Brooke Grimsley, Kerry Davis, Randy Carricker, and CD, you've seen this play out, this sort of situation that Patino is embarking on at St. John's over the years. And I've seen it play out. Almost every college coach runs guys off, and you don't hear about it, but it's one of the really unsavory aspects of college sports. It, it really is. It's so it's so disheartening um, when coaches come in with that mindset. And, and here's why. These young men, these young women, these, these young athletes decided to commit to a certain school. They, that is a lifelong commitment. I am an Illini until I no longer am here. Illinois has had six or seven coaches, football coaches, since I left. Those gentlemen are mercenaries, and in, in, in so to speak. So when you come in and have a mindset of, oh, the cupboard was bare when I got here. Oh, the players are aren't going to be here. We're going to remove these guys. It is a dis. It is a disrespectful comment to those players that decided to sign a letter of commitment, a, a letter of intent to attend that university. And you, sir, ma'am, may not be there for more than three or four years. It, 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 I I despise when coaches come in and say that without knowing, meeting, having conversations, even if you are going to remove those players or you aren't going to renew their scholarship because it is a one-year renewable contract, even if you're not going to do that, at least show them the respect that they desire that they deserve for committing to that school before you just say the hell with you. Use time to move on. I'm still pretty upset with the way that St. John's handled everything with Mike Anderson, Mm -hmm. too. It seemed to me like they were just basically trying to find some cheaper way to get out of that contract and bring in Rick Pitino. And what did they cite with Anderson that he wasn't really like helping the team with their academic standards? I thought that that was the wildest thing ever. Like, what are you talking about? And look, I know you could probably just go back to like a few minutes ago where I was poking fun a little bit, the Mike Anderson era at Arkansas. It was decently good. And it was just towards the end there, things were not working out. That happens all the time. We're seeing it, especially a lot in SEC basketball. But I can tell you one thing. My time there, Mike Anderson cared a lot about those student athletes and about their academics, all that kind of stuff. He pushed them. He is a good guy. And I just thought it was so classless the way that St. John's handled that whole situation. And some people do concern themselves. There are, and I don't even know where they are, but there are coaches and administrations in college athletics that concern themselves with the short-term and long-term welfare of the athletics. When you listen to Rick Pitino, he's kind of about Rick Pitino. Well, the one thing I want to be honest with, a lot of players probably won't be back on this team because they're probably not a good fit for me. I think my players love playing for me, even from Mark Jackson and Patrick Ewing and Charles Oakley. I spoke with Oak last night. They love playing for me with the Knicks. But it takes a certain type of basketball player to want to play for me. He's got to be a total over the top in love with the game of basketball. And if you're not, it's just a bad fit with me. It, it doesn't work. <laughs> Tom, wait, <laughs> coach, hey, hello, coach, coach, coach. Did you say Mark Jackson, Patrick Ewing, and Charles Oakley? Yes. Those are uh, iconic Nick basketball players. I don't in know. The NBA players. In the NBA, man. Yeah. They enjoy playing for you. They're getting paid every week, bro. 
What are you talking about? Like they, they, those are college young men. You're not. You're probably not going to be coaching Mark Jackson, who when he retired, I think he was second all time in assists. You're not going to be coaching uh, Patrick Ewing, who is one of the greatest centers to ever play the game, and you're not going to be ch- coaching Charles Oakley, who is one of the greatest enforcers on a Knicks team that did not win a championship, but was one of those teams in the '90s that was one of the best teams to play in the NBA. That is a th- those names that you just gave. Yes. They enjoyed playing for you because that's their style of basketball that they were taught, that they learned. You didn't teach them that, though. Kerry, they were already there. You're a coach, okay? <laughs> Dick Vermeil has said that the thing that he's proudest of is that he was able to get individuals to do things that they didn't think they could do. Dick Vermeil took it on himself to improve every single individual. Isn't that what coaching is, to yes. make players better? Shouldn't Rick Pitino be trying to make players better? That is the joy of coaching. When you teach a young man or a young woman how to do something, show them over and over and over again. You practice it. You work on it. You rep it 15, 20 times in practice during out, throughout the week. And then come game time, they actually do it to the way that you showed them, and it works. That is when you are coaching. That is when you are patting yourself on the back and saying, man, I finally got them to get it done. And it's because of what they are Mm -hmm. able to do because they have the success and you help teach them that. And by the way, Brooke, this is one reason why we should never, ever, under any circumstances, ever begrudge a player from using the transfer portal. Because mm-hmm. there's just as good a chance of them getting run off as leaving and going looking for greener pastures through the transfer portal. That's very true. I mean, I, definitely, I'm hearing that speech. I would be, I'd be looking elsewhere pretty quickly, and probably after that hire as well. Because you know, you you come in with the coach that brought you in, right? And then they go a completely different direction. Look, hopefully it works out for St. John's because I guarantee you Mike Anderson is going to sue the university. Mm -hmm. He has grounds to. They pretty much got out of owing him as of right now, I think, $11 million. And he'll win, though. He'll win. And so now they're going to have that case. And then you have how much are they paying Patino? Have they put that out oh, there yet? It's a six-year deal. And he, he's These got to be getting about six or seven million dollars. They don't care about that's what I'm saying. I, hopefully, it works out because that's, that's a lot of money that you have just pretty much wasted away. Yeah, and I'm guessing, just a guess here, that none of Rick Pitino's players have done the graduation speech at his previous stops. <laughs> I don't know. I, my my only thing is this: you can you can remove players or you can that's not an issue because you're going to if a team is terrible there's a there's a a a a possibility that there are players on that team that don't work hard Mm -hmm. that don't fit the mold that don't have the mindset that you need them to have for your program to be successful i'm not denying that part but to come in and not have talked to met watched worked with it is a problem for you to automatically assume, yeah, this guy can't play. This guy can't do that. You don't know what he was being taught. You don't know what skill set he has. You don't know what he can or cannot do. You're just assuming based on the fact that the team was terrible. Maybe that maybe they weren't being coached well. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's why the coach got fired. There are so many things to decide before you just walk into a place. Yeah, everyone here is done. No, let me talk to you and see who you are and what you are and watch you work before I decide, yeah, what I thought was true, okay, we're going to move in a different direction. And the U.S. St. John's is really fired up now. They think that Rick Pitino is really excited, and Pitino will be for like 15 seconds, and then he'll move on to other things. But... At the, at the end of the day, they did hire a coach that's going to win. Uh, that's Brooke, that's Carrie. I'm Randy. Coming up, Jay Delsing talking about 
the the game of Rory McIlroy right now. Why? Wow, it's coming your way on 101 ESPN. The smartest way to do your homework is Heckman Lumber. Warm weather means homework for homeowners. And if your homework means a new deck, then turn to the deck experts at Hackman Lumber. Browse the largest inventory of decking materials and deck accessories in Missouri at Hackman Lumber Company. Talk with their experts about treated lumber, cedar, timber tech, Trex, Envision, Azek, and decorators to find the best deck for you. Check out endless choices of railings, balusters, and LED deck lighting options. Hackman Lumber Company will not be undersold on in-stock decking materials guaranteed. You can choose to do it yourself with Hackman's expert advice, or they can recommend reputable contractors to do the work for you. Stop by and see Hackman's expanded paint department, too, with brushes, rollers, painter's tape, and four different lines of interior and exterior paint. Custom color match available. Visit Hackman Lumber's newly remodeled stores in St. Peter's and Pacific, or their showroom in Troy, Missouri. Hackman Lumber. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Delsing every Sunday morning at 9 o'clock here on 101 ESPN. Yesterday, the uh, Dell match, uh, Technologies match play in Austin was played. And Jay joins us now on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line here on 101 ESPN. Jay, good morning. How are you doing? Doing great, guys. Trying to recover from that uh, my grandkid adventure. Uh, how'd it go? Oh, yeah. How'd it go? One daughter called me on, um, I think it was Sunday, and said, Dad, are, are you, how how tired are you? I said, well, completely wiped out. It happened about three hours after I got there. <laughs> and, on, and on Tuesday, I died. So everything is great. The kids, it, it was a blast, but holy smokes, man, parenting is for the young. They absolutely <laughs> killed me. But you'll do it again next time you're asked, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And then I told my daughter, I'll do it. I'll do it anytime. That's fantastic. Aww. Hey, I just want to ask you right now about Rory McIlroy's current game. It seems like if, if we're going to put together maybe a top five all time, and this isn't just wins and losses, but just the, the way he's playing with the off the tee, his, his wedge game, his short game, he's got to be like top five or six all time the way he's playing right now, doesn't he? Yeah, you know, Randy, the, the the way he drives the ball off the tee is a sight to be seen. I I, I can't describe it well enough. But when I, I I had him probably three or four times in U.S. Opens, and he launches the ball at 15 degrees off the tee, guys. And I know that may be a little too technical, but you could, st- for example, I could stand about 40 yards in front of him on the tee, and he'd hit a driver that would go so far over my head but carry over 300 yards. Hmm. It looks almost like he skies the ball, you guys, and it goes like a rocket. And it's so hard to describe because in my era, we hit these low kind of penetrating drives. The the modern-day player hits this massive high-launching drive that doesn't have any spin on it. And a lot of it is the golf ball, and I'm sure we'll talk about that. But what he does, it, it, when he putts well, guys, it's it, 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 he, he's almost impossible to beat. Now the Tiger's gone. Jay, you're a tall guy, played with a lot of leverage. You're a long hitter when you were on tour. Do you remember the longest drive you hit? 
I do. I was playing in Denver, which helped. A, we won't say it helped a lot. Let's say it didn't help a lot. But we were playing. We were playing at Castle Pines, and it was on the very first hole, which is a par five, and it's like six hundred and I don't know eighty to forty yards, something like that. As as I get older, that hole gets longer. I'll tell you that. And and I hit a drive. I remember we're playing in the Stableford system, and that's where you really don't want to make pars. You'd, you'd much rather play the front nine and make you know, five birdies and four bogeys because you're going to rack up all these points. Well, I went along and made eight pars and three putted the 18th. And so I was a little pissed <laughs> and I got up and I hit a driver and an eight iron into this par five. And I, I drove the ball. There was a guy on tour, this real character, David Ogren. I was 193 yards past his drive. Oof. And so we measured it at 400 and something yards. But I, ha- I have a feeling there was a sprinkler head or two involved in there because the next day, guys, I laid up on that hole with a three iron. Oh, wow. So I don't know how it happened. So, I don't know how it happened, but it did happen. Rory yesterday, uh, I think it was on number 14, the par five, goes 420, and he doesn't outdrive Scotty, Sheff- uh, outdrive Scotty Scheffler. But 420, but then the last hole, the 18th, 375-yard par four, and he winds up with his drive four feet from the hole. I know. I, I saw it. Randy, I, w- I walked with him when he shot 64 the last day of the U.S. Open at Chambers Bay in 2015, and he hit three drives over 400 yards that day. I was doing the math, and we weren't very good at Fox, and so we <laughs> couldn't really talk about it. But I was astounded where he was playing from. Um, I, I, I just couldn't believe it. He's the best. He's the best modern day driver of the ball. Dustin Johnson, when he's on, can rival Rory with the way that he drives it. But Rory can dis- disassemble a golf course just with that driver. Jay, I was wondering when you played in Colorado for 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 um, football players, it is tiring in that atmosphere. Is it as tiring when you're walking through the atmosphere and and, and trying to uh, swing that golf club? Kerry, I'm not going to say I wasn't in as good a shape as you, but I wasn't in as good a shape as you. And I get tired doing the math. I mean, we'd stand there and try to figure out, okay, we have 10, 10% for altitude, then we have a downhill, then we have an uphill. It, it, it was exhausting. And what's interesting about that altitude, you guys, is that if the ball's launched high, it'll go. If it's not, it'll fall out of the sky. Hmm. There, there's something about the aerodynamics of the ball especially back in the day, or maybe it was my game, probably more about my game. But that ball would just not, sometimes it would stay in the air, and you'd fly the, you'd see the craziest shots in Denver. I'll just say that. You'd see guys airmailing greens that you really don't see that happen very much in the PGA Tour. And then you'd see uh, short irons that would fall short of the lake in front of the green because some of them just, they just didn't go. Well, it's another week, and things are still contentious between Live Golf and the PGA Tour, of course, Jay, right? The latest is that Live Golf is accusing PGA Tour of using illegal means to dissuade numerous broadcasters. So, Jay, how much are you getting paid by the PGA Tour <laughs> to turn people against Live Golf, and why are you doing it? You know what? I think my, our commissioner, Jay Monahan, lost my number, Brooke. I, uh, I, I, I don't... I, I keep texting it to him, but he must not be getting it. You know, I, I, I don't know where that, I, I don't know where half this stuff is coming from. I mean, I, I don't know what they expected. Um, you're going to come in here. You're going to you're going to loot the, some of the best players in the world from, you know, the only place that anyone's ever wanted to play professional golf for the last forty years or so, 
And, uh, I mean, what are you expecting? Some of the stuff that comes out of here, it's, I, I'm sure it's just trash for for, for us media folks to, to, to kick around, but it, I just don't get it. I, 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 I mean, what do you expect? I mean, you want them to say, oh, yeah, please, take, take whoever you want and offer them ridiculous amounts of money so that our products last. I mean, it, I don't know. I, I, I don't know what to say, Brooke. It doesn't make any damn sense to me. And some of this stuff, it, I, it's got to be, it all seems like it's somehow revolving around Greg Norman and, and, and his pettiness and, and his ego just running amok and just, you know, I, 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 don't, know what to, I don't know what's happening now. What is the, the, the future for PGA Golf? I mean, what, what's going to eventually have to happen if those players keep jumping ship and going to live or uh, if live does start to thrive and start to succeed? What does the future look like for golf in general? You know, Kerry, I don't know. I've thought about this way too much. I, when you think about what, what's happened in other sports and when there's been these rivals that come up, you know, in the NFL, the USFL and things like that, those in XFL, those have all fallen by the wayside. The, Donald Trump, you know, started his thing, and that, did, that didn't make it. But then, you know, they did have the, the, the big conflict between the AF, AFL and the NFL, and they did wind up merging. It's the same thing happened in hockey when the WHA was around and you had the Canadian teams and they've they've since folded into the NHL. But I don't know how this works, guys. I don't see a time that these players are going to be allowed back. I, I just don't. They've already taken this money. Our stars that have stayed loyal to the PGA Tour have foregone that money. And so I I, I don't know how, how you're going to make that a situation arise that the players are going to welcome them back. I mean, they've already got the money. Yeah. I I don't know. I don't know how that works. I think the main difference is, is the money. Like if you had a a league offering Lamar Jackson, 300 million guaranteed right now, he might be playing in that league instead of the NFL. If you were offering Tyreek Hill, 45 million a year for the next 10 years, he might be playing in that league. So I think that's why live is, is really, it it could be a detriment to, to what's going on in golf because they are offering this money and players are deciding I will take the guaranteed money and play for however long I need to play and then be done. Oh, Kerry, there's no doubt. I mean, look at this is this is lessening the golf product. It's making it harder, um, uh, harder to, to find. I mean, now now Liv's got a TV deal so so people can actually find it. But I mean, you know, you get um, an older demographic like golf uh, viewers have, and they're going to have a hard time finding this thing on YouTube, and they're not even going to go to YouTube. And it, they're, they're, it's definitely a threat, and I can tell you it, the, the PGA Tour thinks it's a threat, is treating it like a threat, and, I, you know, I don't like most of the things that the PGA Tour has done because it seems so reactionary and it, it doesn't show much vision. But, you know, you know guys, I, at the end of the day, I, I don't know where this goes. I, I don't know how this is going to play itself out, and it, and it doesn't seem like it's going to go away anytime soon. Hey, Jay, one last thing. These days, when you are uh, when it's cold outside, you don't pick up the club as often as you did when you were a pro. So, if you go a month, six weeks without getting out to a range, what do you recommend? The first thing that an amateur do when they get out to the range and they haven't picked up a club in four, six, eight weeks? Man, Randy, stretch and try to get your body ready because when well, most guys will get out there and they'll start with their driver, which I don't recommend either. I I, I would really recommend taking a your wedge and some short shots and just get, try to get a sense for what you're doing. But 
when you haven't used your golf muscles in a while, and we do have golf muscles, it doesn't really look like it, but we do have golf muscles. They they they're going to be sore as hell, and and I would definitely try to do get on the floor, do some stretching your hamstrings and things like that, because if you're swinging the way you want to swing and trying to be powerful, you're going to be using your lower body, your legs, and and, and the turn. Your shoulders are going to be sore. I mean, it happens almost every year when the first couple of weeks after I'll take some time off, you know, you really have to treat your body well if you want it to perform. And so, man, I, I, that's what I would recommend is just just trying to, to loosen up a little bit so that you're not going to be so sore and stiff when it comes time for the second day that you go out. Jay, I was uh, the last question for me. <clears throat> I was talking to Brooke and Randy the other day, and I said, when I'm practicing my golf swing without a golf club and without a golf ball, it is perfect. How do I continue that perfection when I put a golf ball in front of me and have a golf club in my hand? Carrie, I'm only going to say this because I'm not in the same room with you. <laughs> But I have a hard time imagining perfection when you swing the golf club. You are not. I'm built. not built for it. You are not built for that, man. You're the, not but, built but for that. But when I don't have a golf club and a, a ball, I, it, it looks it looks yeah. outstanding. But as yeah, soon no, as I put that ball in front of me, I, I my body shuts down. My mind does something different. Gary, it, 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 it's because the, the, we can call it being ball-bound or, or just the, the ball intimidates everyone. Mm. People can make this beautiful little pitching motion with no ball there and put a ball there and the, it, the entire world changes because <laughs> you, you realize that you have got to hit this thing now. Right. And, and there's going to be a result on the end that you've seen a lot that hasn't really gone the way you want to. And that's the hardest part about golf. It's so mental because half the time, guys, when the amateurs are swinging, they don't even believe they're going to do it. I mean, it's it, it, it. And so if you don't have that, that total mind commitment to what you're doing, man, it's really the game. It, it's hard enough as it is, but I, I think it's, I think it's, I think it really revolves back to fear Gary, because it is you it is you're fearful of what might happen and it throws you know anxiety through your body your muscles tense up and nothing good happens when athletes when their muscles get tight it really doesn't jay who do you got coming up on the show on sunday lieutenant colonel dan rooney from folds of honor love him randy these i know over 50 million dollars these guys donated this year to the families of our men and women heroes that have fallen in action uh, all for education purposes. They're, they're just a great, a great guy and a great organization. And St. Louis is one of their hub cities, guys, with, with Schnooks and Anheuser-Busch and some of the other uh, Patriot Day things they do. St. Louis lends them a, and, and raises a lot of money for them. So hats off to the Lou. And we will be out at the Folds of Honor Golf Tournament on June 26th this year. Put it on your calendar, Brooke and uh, Carrie, because we'll be out there as we are every year to uh, support and honor Folds of Honor. Jay, th- thanks so much for the time. We do appreciate it. Oh, guys, anytime. Have a Enjoy great the show. Thanks. You That's too. our buddy Jay Delsing here on 101 ESPN. Yeah, Folds of Honor is incredible. They provide scholarships to the families of fallen mm-hmm. soldiers, fallen military, and 
I've been involved with that golf tournament for six or seven years now, and Suzanne Lay does a magnificent job of putting it together. It's at Whit- both courses at Whitmore and the Missouri Bluffs, and we will be there on the 26th of June, and you can get more information by just Googling Folds of Honor St. Louis. Coming up next, we've got Take It or Leave It here on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. It's time for Take It or Leave It. Want to say something? Want to put it out there? If you like it, you can take it. If you don't, send it right back. Get your text in to 314-399-9646. And give us your Take It or Leave It. Brought to you by Gloria Lou Realty. Visit GloriaHasTheBuyers.com and start packing. That's my final offer. Take it or leave it. It's time for Take It or Leave It. Get your text into the Ear Comfort Service text line 314-399-9646. If you use the letters on your phone, that's 314-399-YOHO. We want you to join us for Take It or Leave It. is amazing. Yeah. yeah. Four-part harmony. We're like the Eagles. It's <laughs> unbelievable. It's like Don Henley, Glenn Fry, Joe Walsh, and Timothy B. Schmidt. It's just amazing. <sighs> It's phenomenal. Take it or leave it is now on 101 ESPN. Uh, kids, a couple of texts or tweets yesterday. One from Woj at ESPN, Adrian Morjanowski, who uh, tweeted, there's an increasing optimism that Lakers star LeBron James could return to play a few games in the final week of the regular season. Sources tell ESPN, James has been out since suffering a right foot, foot tendon injury on February 26th. His colleague at ESPN, Dave McMenamin, tweets, LeBron James continues his on-court activity and is on a gradual basketball movement progression, the Lakers said on Thursday. There's no specific timeline for his return to game action, according to the team. LeBron responds, says, There wasn't an evaluation today and there hasn't been any target date for my return. I'm just working around the clock every day, three times a day, to give myself the best chance of coming back full strength, whenever that is. God bless y'all sources. I speak for myself. Take it or leave it. You would trust Woj's and McMenamin sources more than LeBron. I'm going to leave that. And I think you're starting to see a shift from players where the, you, you saw with Kevin Durant a few years back, him and Stephen A. Smith going back and forth. You, you, you're starting to see a, 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 a shift in players putting their own narrative out. Instead of, you saw with Aaron Rodgers sending uh, Schefter a text, good try, mm-hmm. lose my number. Like, <laughs> he, he, there is a, there's a, 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 a group of players that are, I guess, so far so high up there that they are the ones that can control their own narrative and if you are reporting something that is not accurate um, I think those players will give a little bit of pushback to that. Once Woj is wrong, I'll buy that. Okay. I mean, Mm. so I I always wonder about this. When you're like one of the, the elite Top, top, top of the top. You have group people mm-hmm. in your group. They're, they're sometimes they give out false information to people to see who's going to tell. They're, who's going to who's going to open up their mouth to reporters and you know, hey, I'm wearing blue shoes today. Hey, he's going to wear blue shoes today. I know who said that. I told that person I was going to wear blue. I told him I was going to wear orange. I told him I was going to wear green. So you, you kind of put out that false information to see which one of your people in your circle are uh, are spilling the beans. If you want to see the sources that Woj has, follow him on Twitter the night of the NBA draft. He, he has everything. Everything. Uh-huh. Everything. So, Randy, we are uh, we talked about it yesterday. Two of the number one seeds are already out of the, the tournament, men and women. But on the men's side, take it or leave it, there will not be a number one seed in the Final Four. I'm going to take that now. Yeah, Alabama, Alabama. Alabama they're going to they got to play San Diego State tonight. If they win, they'll play Creighton or Princeton. 
and Princeton is playing extremely well mm-hmm. as a 15 seed. They've already knocked off a number two. Houston plays Miami tonight. If they win, they'll play either Xavier or Texas. I like Texas and what they've been doing. So, yeah, yeah. it's going to be a – I don't know if we'll have a number one seed in there this, I'm, I'm this year. I'm with you there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm going to take that as well. All right, take it or leave it. I don't know if you guys saw yesterday, an Oregon minor league baseball team introduced new uniforms and their new team name. They are the Exploding Whales. Hmm. The Exploding Whales. Take it or leave it. Minor League Baseball does a pretty good job of coming out with creative names. And there's a great origin story, which I'll get into briefly here. Basically... A long time ago, I guess like in the 70s, there was a whale that washed up in a shore on the coast, okay, in Oregon, and they didn't know what to do about it, so they... They literally put dynamite on it mm-hmm. and blew it up. That's why they're the exploding oh. exploding whales. So look, PETA, don't come after them. They're just documenting history. All right. They're not saying to go blow up whales. Um, but take it or leave it. More teams outside of just minor league baseball need to do this as well. I'll take it. I- I'll take it as well. I saw a, uh, what was it, Savannah Bananas? Mm-hmm. I saw an outfielder catch a, uh, uh, a fly ball and did a backflip while doing it. That, who would not be entertained watching that? You know, I mean, then they have I'm the totally rule if the fan catches the ball in the out in the uh, in the stands and still an out. Right, sign yeah. me up. Yeah, <laughs> catch it in the air and it's still an out. Well, they have it. They always have the most creative names too. Let's see, the jumbo shrimp or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, yeah jumbo <laughs> shrimp. There's the Montgomery Biscuits. And I, I like uh, all that stuff. Their, their logo has a biscuit in it with a tongue that's made out of butter. Oh. Yes. Yeah, the Athletic is right now actually doing a 120-team bracket trying to find the best minor league baseball team name. You can go to the Athletic right now and see like the progression of the bracket. All right. Hey, what do we got on the text line there, Matthew? Take it or leave it. City remains undefeated after this weekend's game. Total take. Total take. Are you all at all concerned uh, about the players that are having to play for their national teams? No. No. That, that, are, no, that are not going to be here or unable to play due to sickness? We have depth. We're good. Okay. Nice wondering. Doesn't seem like the uh, organization of the team is concerned. Uh, take it or leave it. Just like Mike Trout, a World Cup is the only way Connor McDavid will play in a championship game. Oh. I'm going to leave that. that. I, I, <laughs> I think, think he's going to make it to uh, Stanley Cup. They, you know, they that trade for Ekholm this year, man, they're, they've got a lot of things going for them. I could see them this year winding up in the final. Now, do they beat Boston? Well, everything's going to have to go well, and he and Dreisaitl are going to have to play well. But they changed the complexion of their team dramatically when they made that trade for Matias Ekholm. Hmm. Take it or leave it. Cardinals opening day gives all the other major holidays a run for their money. Take it. Oh, take it. It is a. It is a. It's a local holiday. It should be a national holiday. It's the one day in this town where everybody stays in town just to celebrate yeah. mm-hmm. and just enjoy Watch, the day. and see the Clydesdales. Right, all of that stuff. Everybody that is a true blue St. Louis and just stays in town to just make sure that they're around Cardinal baseball that day. Take it or leave it, the Cardinals have the best opening day in all of Major League Baseball. I'll take I'll take uh, Major League Sports. Major League Sports. And, and it's not even close. This yeah. is Secretariat in the Belmont. There's nobody even close. Take it or leave it. Wait, Matthew, you didn't even respond. Uh, I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it was a good point. He's not going to be here. He's it, was, not. it was a good point. What, oh, care? okay. Care. What are you talking One about? One producer in St. Louis is not a Cardinal fan. Wow, just throwing me under the bus right <laughs> now. He's, got a, he's rooting for his cronky. Oh, yes, right was. under the bus. <laughs> Take it or leave it. St. Louis Mount Rushmore for defense. Keith Hernandez, Ozzie Smith, Jim Edmonds, and Yadier Molina. That is very difficult to beat. 
You got the best shortstop and the best first baseman of all time. You've got one of the three or four best defensive catchers of all time. Jimmy Baseball was spectacular. Kurt Flood was a spectacular center fielder. But I feel like you're in, in St. Louis sports or bar, uh, you said St. Louis it sports? It must be baseball. Well, it's St. Yeah, Louis said, sports. St. Louis, Mount Rushmore for defense. And they, and they went yeah. all baseball, so I'm guessing. Yeah. But you, you, you don't think any of the... Uh, well, a, Larry uh, Wilson invented the safety blitz. What about uh, Aeneas Williams? Yep, he's a he's a he's pretty good Hall pretty, of Famer, pretty good Hall, Hall of Famer, Fame defender. Yep, uh, Chris Pronger. We literally yeah. just talked about Alan Kinnis. Yeah, yep. one of the most deadly few, slap shots in the few game. Names that are left off there, no doubt about it. Bob Pettit. Oh, I didn't even think about that one. That's yeah, good. <laughs> Take it or leave it. What about a bracket of iconic St. Louis sports photos? See, Ooh, I, I think I know which one. I wins, love though. that. Oh wait, that's actually no. That never mind. That'd be a pretty good Final Four. Do you count the Bobby Orr one as a St. Louis photo? Yes. Yeah, that's got. I mean, that's that's going to be in the Final Four, right? Even though it's a negative one. You got that one. You've got the tackle. Tackle. You've got Freeze coming home. You've got Ozzy. Oh, Ozzy yeah, flipping. Ozzy flipping. Any like, flipping. Ozzy flipping was going to be in my top five. That's or Final Four. That's Final Four. <laughs> Take it or leave it. Hofer is the new Bennington, and Bennington is the new Allen. I'm going to leave that. I think Bennington's contract and history precludes him from becoming Jake Allen. Yes, uh, I'm going to leave that as well. I mean, this is just still a small sample size, even though Hofer has looked fantastic. It looks really poised. Also, I thought it was interesting how he does handle when somebody does score on him, how he's able to brush it off really easily. So that's a big difference I see, at least early on from him and Bennington. Yeah, him settling down after two early goals is a really good sign. Yeah, uh, Take it or leave it. I'm sorry to the WBC, but soccer in the World Cup by far is the most entertaining international competition. Sorry. Um, I'm sorry to you. <laughs> <laughs> so what's your most... What's your, what's your, if you're watching one international competition, is it still the Olympics, Randy? Oh, well, or is it Olympics, Olympic, Olympic, Olympic basketball is absolutely... Track, track for me. Yeah, Olympic track is is my go to. Olympic I'm, hockey is unbelievable. I'm, World Cup, by the way, track. is great. World Cup soccer is fantastic. There's so. a uh, there's a texter that says seventies uh, is a long time ago. Question mark. Uh, take it. Yes, yeah, fifty it years ago, half it a century. Was 50. Yeah. It was. I think sometimes we, even I, I was born mm-hmm. in the eighties. Sometimes I forget that the seventies was fifty years ago. Yeah, it was a long time yeah, ago. It was a while ago. Sir, ma'am. Yeah, but history, yes, it still does exist. History is going to be there. It's not going anywhere. It's not going anywhere. Yeah. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you, Randy. Coming up next is the Cardinal backup catcher situation a problem, and ESPN has their top 100 players out, and the Cardinals have a few on the list. That's next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. A fresh perspective on the day's top stories. It's the Opening Drive's Fresh Take. Brought to you by Schnucks Rewards. Reward yourself. Earn 2% back on every purchase with the Schnucks Rewards app. Derek Gould, the post-dispatch beat writer for the St. Louis Cardinals, tweeting yesterday that Andrew Kisner, challenged for the role this spring, will open the year as the Cardinals' backup catcher. He beat out Trey Barrera, who had a pretty good spring for the Cardinals, really doesn't have much of a major league history, and certainly doesn't have a history with Cardinal pitchers. But Kisner's offense during the course of this spring, and really 
for last year. Left an awful lot to be desired. Brooke, you at all surprised that Kisner was able to beat out Barrera? Um, if we're talking about offense specifically, I was I was pretty concerned because through spring training so far, Kisner has gone four for forty-two, hitting ninety-five through fourteen games this spring. That's pretty pretty dang bad, that's right? Bad. Yep. That's yep. that's pretty bad. But at the same time, and I brought this up yesterday, and I heard BT talking about it um, also yesterday on the fast lane. I think what has helped him is his relationship that he already has with the pitching staff. Um, he's worked a lot with Miles Michaelis. I think Miles My- Michaelis actually prefers him. We saw that a lot last season mm-hmm. um, over some of the other catchers. So you have that familiarity with the pitching staff. And with a new guy like Contreras coming in, yes, he's had some more time to kind of build those relationships. But I'm sure that that was a big factor is that he knows this pitching staff really well. Also, just wanted to bring this up. This is a side thing. It was actually Andrew Kisner that came up with a pepper grinder that really took off that whole celebration. Mm-hmm. And Newt gets the credit. Yeah, Wainwright but, made that but Newt point. But well, Newt yeah. has said several times that it was Kisner that came mm-hmm. up with this. So he's not oh, that's trying one of the to steal the show. Keep him, yeah. Right? Yeah. That's <laughs> the biggest one for me, <laughs> no, right? No, no, you're not hitting. I think you're, you're going to have to figure something out because I don't think any of us expect Wilson Contreras to be behind the plate for 130, 140 games. I think you're going to have to have – he's going to have days off. He's going to have um, um, times where he's DHing. He, he's not going to have that many – Starts at catcher, and as Wilson, speaking of Wilson Contreras, so you're going to have to have someone that is able to handle the staff in, in the manner in which you need it to be done. But also, you need to have somebody that can hit. And and right now, Kisner is not hitting well enough, and hasn't hit well enough uh, uh, to be in the last couple of years. Hasn't yeah. hit well enough to be the guy that you want to be backing up Wilson Contreras when he has those days off or when he's DHing. And by the way, Trey Barrera only hit 154. In the spring, it wasn't. Although he did have an 883 OPS, uh, we've got a new TV show coming up starting Sunday night on the Two Fox on on Fox Two uh, at 11:30. It's called The 101 on Sports, and one of our first guests is going to be Cardinal General Manager Michael Gersh, who talked about Contreras as the Cardinals' number one catcher. I think the biggest thing is, is his commitment to like stepping into Yadi's shoes and being a a big part of our team. I mean, you know, Wilson was a big could have been playing the WBC with Venezuela. And I'm sure there are some people who wish he had, but it, he wanted to be here. He wanted, the moment we signed him, he wanted video and scouting reports and data on all of our pitchers. He wanted to prepare. He wanted to get to know these guys. And he wanted to show that he cared about, about making our pitching staff as good as it can be. And, so I wonder if maybe Wilson Contreras will be a different catcher here, especially with the input of Yadi Molina, than he was in Chicago. Now, in Chicago, he did have Joe Madden, one of the great teachers in the history of the sport. But maybe there's something that Yachty brings to the table that he can pass along to a guy like Contreras. Well, I mean, it's going to be durability in terms of being able to sit back there for multiple games as opposed to, I I don't know how, I I can't find the numbers, finding out how many games Wilson Contreras plays as a catcher year in and year out. He only played 72 last year. I think it was only 72. So it's not like. 100 plus games so you're looking at over 100 games well well, close to 100 games where you're going to have to have another person as your primary catcher and that is going to be a vital role for whomever that is they have to be able to hit they cannot be (laughs) 
0.91 at the batter's box. You're just yeah. giving yourself an out. Last so, year, only 72. The year before that, 116. The year before that, 41. That was the COVID season. Uh, before that, he played 99 in 2019. Behind the plate, 133 in 2018. And the Cardinals gave him the big money to be a catcher. Right. He, he, they, well, they, they didn't sign him to be a part-time DH. And Correct. they even they even said that, too, is that coming in here, they knew that he wasn't going to be an everyday catcher for this team. They knew that he's not going to take that load that Yachty took for a long time. But at the same time, that is a pretty big drop-off offensively that you're going to have to figure out, especially if Kisner can't find some way to turn this around. So it looks like Contreras through spring so far, his average is 364, and then you jump down to 95? Yeah. With Andrew so, Kisner, Andrew that's that's a that's a pretty that's big a difference. Big drop off. So right. my if you question, have that guy playing forty games, that's yeah. pretty significant. My question is: and, so and then, do you <laughs> do you ask Contreras to start kind of picking up his workload where he can get used to, you know, catching in more games, being a part of more games, or eventually at some point, are we going to see if Herrera starts doing really well down in the minors? Does his time come up a little bit sooner? He was over. Overwhelmed last year, the he Cardinals was. expected Herrera to be their catcher yeah. this year, and he was just overwhelmed. I don't. He, he's going to have to get a lot better. This is this is the one spot where, like I said, you, you're going to have to ask a guy who you said one time in 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 how many years has played over 100 games behind the plate. It, that that is a guy that is not done it a lot. So, mm-hmm. And you look at the Yachty stats: 21, he played 118 games. 2019, he played 111. 18, 121, 2017, 133, 2016, 146. That is a lot of games behind the plate that we are accustomed to seeing in comparison to a guy that you said played 77 games behind the plate last year. That's a lot of games that you're going to have to have someone else who's going to be in the line. It's not like you can sit them down when it's time to hit. You got to have someone else in the lineup that is going to be able to hit. Wilson Contreras is going to have to play about 110, 120 games at catcher this year, which he has not done yet. And by the way, this is March. And you generally don't believe what you see in March in, in baseball. And Andrew Kisner's overall numbers, he's not going to hit 045. He'll be a better hitter than that, but he just needs to hit better than he has this spring. But a lot of guys, hey, baseball's littered with people that hit 110 in spring training and then come out and hit 330 during the season. It happens all the time. Never believe what you see in spring training. Last year, Paul DeYoung hit 500 in spring training. Yeah, well, we'll see what this year. Last year, uh, Kisner hit 215, and the year before yeah. that, he was 174. Yeah, they, they need more than 215. <laughs> what was his OPS last year? Uh, last year was 601. So you, you need a little better than that. that but, <laughs> but that's that's, the, that's why you need Contreras to play 120. You, you and definitely him do. to play 40. Yeah. Coming up here on 101 ESPN, we're going to talk to Clark Kellogg. He had a late night last night. We appreciate him joining us this morning talking the NCAA tournament here on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Jerome Tang sets it up. Going for the line! Keontae Johnson on the receiving end! It's the Opening Drive on 101 ESPN in St. Louis with Brooke Grimsley and Super Bowl champion Kerry Davis. I'm Randy Carricker, and it's a pleasure to go to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line and welcome CBS's Clark Kellogg to the show. Clark was up late last night with Greg Gumbel and Kenny Smith and Charles Barkley, so we appreciate the quick turnaround this morning. Clark, good morning. How are you doing? 
I'm great. Randy, Brooke, Kerry, great to be with you guys this morning. What a night last night. Those two games that bookend the four that we saw. Doesn't get a whole lot better than that. No, and I really I watched K State, Michigan State, and I'm thinking, man, this is uh, there's no way we can eclipse this tonight, and we'll get to that in a moment. But holy cow, I, I had to get up real early for a morning radio show. I couldn't take my eyes off Gonzaga and UCLA. Yeah, that was captivating as well. I mean, Gonzaga seemed to have it in hand with about 90 seconds to go. UCLA said not just yet. We're going to see if we can steal this one, and almost did. And I tell you, that was a call play for Julian Strother, that last three he hit. And, man, reminded me of Chris Jenkins and Villanova. <laughs> yep, right. I mean, it was exactly trailing, um, trailing shooter. Act like you're going to drive it, mm. pitch it back. And I think he had the option, at least from the interview that Mark Pugh gave after the game, he had the option to either get downhill and drive it or stroke it. But, but Mark felt like if he had a good look at the three, He's going to let it fly, and boom, there goes the dynamite. (laughs) (laughs) Clark, you all do these games every single year. Are you ever just blown away by something that takes place that maybe you've never seen before? I know that game a couple of nights ago where uh, Furman won that game. That was was an interesting way to win the game. Are you ever caught off guard by any of this? No, you know what? I've been doing it for a long time, guys, and it's an unbelievable gift and privilege to be part of it, to do it with the people I get to do it with, to still be part of the game that's given me more than I can ever repay it. Um, The tournament is a really magical event for a lot of reasons, and it never, ever fails to deliver. Yeah, I've been surprised. I never thought in my time as a broadcaster I'd see a 16 beat a one, and we've had it happen twice in five years. Mm. That probably is the most significant surprise. The way the games unfold, the shots that are made, the buzzer beaters, the crazy upsets that happen, I've just come to expect it, and yet there still are moments when your jaw drops. Mm. And you're like shaking your head and saying, wow, this is crazy. I mean, the performance by Marquise Noel last night. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. there's just so many different times. But again, my, my thing is how grateful I am to be part of it and to um, work with the people we get to work with, um, those you see and those you don't see. It's an unbelievable team effort. And then the competition, the drama of live sports, the one-and-done format of win or go home, the three-week actually four-week run to a championship because for me it really starts um, that last week of February, first week of March when we get the first conference tournaments on board, the OVC, the MBC, uh, Big South, Southern Conference, those conferences at the Atlantic Sun that uh, kick off the beginning of those automatic qualifiers. And the drama starts then and it it's just builds and builds and builds and then we finally crown the champion after about four weeks. But it's... Um, Man, I could go on and on, but I know we don't have an unlimited shot clock here. <laughs> well, you talk about jaw-dropping moments, and for me it was that K-State game, and you mentioned there just that performance by Noel. What did you see there, and do you think, we were discussing this earlier, do you think that was planned, or do you think that was actually just kind of like a quick little actual disagreement, or what did you think about that moment? No, I think it was just family friction. I mean, again, I didn't, you know, it that happens, out. I mean... Yeah, 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 it does. I mean, when there's love and care and trust and shared experience, shared adversity, uh, the crucible.
crucible of competition. I mean, we all know that there are times those we love most drive us the craziest at different times. So I, I don't think there was anything staged about it. Um, I just think it was something that happened in the moment. They worked through it um, because there's a level of trust and common shared uh, mission. And you, you, you're going to have differences sometimes. That's okay. Differences are all right. Well, yeah. and, and it, it I, don't think, I don't think it was staged. Yeah, I don't think it was staged. Yeah. <laughs> what did you think about Izzo's comments afterwards about that it was pretty much lucky for K-State? Well, I mean, that's one person's perspective. I thought Michigan State in many ways played well enough to win the game other than the turnovers, and they couldn't contain Noel. They just couldn't quite find a way to get him under wraps. Um, and then when they on a little run, there was no real separation in that game. I mean, it basically was a one- or two-possession game most of the way. And there is some good fortune that has to be on your side, but that was, uh, that was about seizing the moment and rising to the occasion. So I, 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 wouldn't, I, would, I wouldn't personally categorize it as luck. Um, that was a marvelous performance by a young man that um, is clearly the unquestioned leader of, of that team. Clark, it feels like college basketball has shifted so much in the last 15 to 20 years. You got one and done, transfer portal, kids going to the G League and not choosing to go to college, college coaches moving on pretty much every year. Are you okay yeah. with the state of college basketball right now? I am. I am. We've got some things that need to be addressed. I mean, NIL, name, image, and likeness needs to be, I think it's the right move. It's long overdue, um, but it still needs to be corralled for the good of the game. Um, and I think there's ways that it can be done um, for the good of the game and continue to allow student athletes to not be penalized for earning scholarships. Um, coaches moving is always going to be part of the landscape, and I have no real issues with that either. I mean, there's some situations you look at and say, boy, I wish it would have unfolded differently. But by and large, no, I don't. I think the game is in a good place. Um, we've got more um, good players spread out across more teams. Um uh, We've got rules that are conducive to to an entertaining project product. Um, the transfer portal, I think, needs to be looked at. Uh, and otherwise, I mean, that's just part of evolution. Change isn't always comfortable, and it's not always smooth. So I just think we have to be proactive. The NCAA, under new leadership with Charlie Baker, I think has to be proactive in terms of what are they going to be going forward? What is the NCAA going to look like in terms of uh, handling and um, crafting a structure that's conducive to the 21st century and the current um, climate and challenges? Clark Kellogg of CBS Sports with us for a few more moments here on 101 ESPN. Clark, we have a dozen teams left. We'll cut it down to the Elite Eight tonight. Is there one of these 12 teams that you look at that's still alive where you, you watch them and you say, okay, that to me really fits the profile of a, a championship team? Is there anybody that really stands out for you? Yeah, there are two teams, the two number ones, the two top seeds. I mean, Alabama and Houston. I had concern coming into the tournament because of Marcus Sasser's injury with Houston. You know, he missed the conference tournament championship game with the strain growing, but he looks like he's 100%. And now that leads me to believe that he, that Houston and Alabama uh, are the two teams that seem to have the least, the most margin for error because they can beat you multiple ways. Um, I love Xavier's offensive firepower. I don't know if they have the defensive, uh, the requisite defense necessary to 
get by a Houston, assuming that's who they would face if they get by Texas. Um, I picked Gonzaga to be in the Final Four and to actually win the national championship, just thinking they might be due in a year where there aren't really great teams. But Houston and Alabama, um, to me, appear to have everything you would need to, to win it all. One of the things Chris Mack said last night in, in his in-game interview was, we got to keep the ball out of Timmy's hands. It's amazing how you can't keep the ball out of that guy's hands. <laughs> well, they do a great job of getting it to him, and he's marvelous with his footwork. Me and Charles and Kenny were just, uh, we couldn't stop shaking our head about how he gets, 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 fills the defenders and then just with masterful footwork always finds a way to get a quality shot. And he's mastered that little push half shot from four to six feet, which is one of the toughest shots in the game. Um, yeah, he's been an unbelievable college player for his career, and he's not done yet. And, Clark, you're a Big Ten guy. You went to Ohio State. I am a Big Ten guy. I went to Illinois. The Big Ten hasn't uh-huh. won a national championship since Michigan State did it in 2000. What are we yeah. doing? What, 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 what's going on, man? <laughs> hey, 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 hey. We're basically just coming up short. Over and over and over, short. And over again, right? <laughs> I know, I know, I know. I was hoping Michigan State could fly the flag for the conference again, but they ran into a Really, really good team that played great last night. Yeah, it's just one of those things. I mean, there have been multiple teams from the Big Ten that have gotten there. Michigan, Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. um, They've been there in recent years. And just, it's hard. It's hard to win six in a row. And I don't think it's, I mean, it's unfortunate for the conference, but it's not an indictment on how bad. I mean, the conference is great. Mm -hmm. Tournament time is just hard. And they'll 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 eventually crack through. We've got, um, we've got the coaches, the talent to be able to do it. Now it's just a matter of making it happen. More big games tonight. Is there a team that you're going to be watching closely or a team that you think you know might surprise some people? Will Princeton continue on this magical run? What do you think? I've always liked Creighton, even though they had a bit of a dip during the middle of the season. I love the way they play, how they space the floor and move the ball and They've got a great point guard in Ryan Nimhard. I'm looking forward to that matchup with Princeton, but I do think Creighton can prevail. And um, they'll have a chance to beat whoever comes out of their second game. I really believe that. They've got a rim protector in Carl Brenner. Um, they score at every position, all five guys, give you double digits. They're not very deep. Basically playing six and a half guys. But Creighton is a team that I think could maybe end up being a surprise in terms of who ends up in Houston. Xavier as well. I mean, the offensive firepower, they got scared in their first round game. Sometimes you get scared and survive, and that can propel you to um, a magical run. Clark Kellogg, we love watching you and the crew on CBS. Uh, You guys do fantastic work, and we appreciate it because we know you were up late last night. We appreciate you turning around and getting up for us this morning here in St. Louis. No problem. Great to be with you. Enjoy the rest of the madness, folks, and um, have a great Friday and weekend. Thank you, Clark. You too. Take care. That is Clark Kellogg of CBS with us on the opening drive on 101 ESPN in the tournament, man. It's always fun, and it's always mad. It, it is madness. It's so unpredictable. Like You ne- you never know who's going to be where. That's why there aren't any perfect brackets. No one can predict the things that are going to take place. You got a 15 seed in Princeton still with an opportunity to <laughs> yeah. make it to the Final Four. It's just, it is madness it, it, and maddening. If you would have told me yesterday that Gonzaga-UCLA would have been 79-76, I mean, that, that to me looked like a 65-62 game. Yeah. The fact that UCLA allowed 79 points, tells you how crazy it is. Yeah, it's just one off night. That's why I love that one-and-done format. It's just, it makes it so much more exciting. Yeah, it's going to be a fun weekend. That's Brooke, that's Carrie. I'm Randy. Coming up, we've got the fight here on 101 ESPN. Your-
back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Welcome to the fight in the red corner, Average Joe Listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of Morning Drive. Please welcome Randy Carricker. to the opening drive. I'm Kerry Davis, joined by Brooke Grimsley, and it is time for the fight, and our fighter today is Josh. Josh, how you doing? Doing good, Kerry. You ready to roll? Ready as I'm going to be. All right, here we go. (laughs) (laughs) Which NFL quarterback is tied for the second most pick sixes thrown in NFL history with 29? Is it Andy Dalton, Derek Carr, or Matthew Stafford? Uh, I have no idea. Um, Let's go with Stafford. Happy birthday to both Peyton Manning and his idiot kicker, Mike Vanderjack. Which team did the Colts lose to in the 2005 playoffs when Vanderjack shanked a field goal wide right with 18 seconds remaining? Is it the Steelers, Patriots, or Broncos? Mm, So this is 2005? Yes. Yep. The playoffs following um, the, the playoffs following the 05 season, early 2006 by the year. If you want to go technical, okay. Oh, I'm going to say the Patriots. All right, Josh. Who was the only player to be named Most Outstanding Player of the Men's NCAA Tournament three different times? Bill Walton, Hakeem Olajuwon, or Lou Alcindor? Oh, I know Walton was on all those good UCLA teams, so I'll go with him. Who is the only coach in men's NCAA tournament history to win a championship at two different schools? Bill Self, Rick Pitino, or John Calipari? Oh. Sorry, I feel like this. Pitino and Calipari could both be right. Um, I'm going to go with Pitino. All right, we'll double-check the score, and we will bring in Randy Carricker. Josh, how you feeling? You sounded like it was uh, a little painful there. We, we don't want the fight to be painful. <laughs> yeah, one of them days, you know, I didn't know any of them, so uh, a lot of guessing. And a lot of guessing. Well, sometimes that guessing can pay off. We will see. We will see. Uh, how Randy feels about this. Randy, say hello to Josh. Josh, good morning. How you doing? Doing good, Randy. Take it easy on me, all right? I'll do my best. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. Happy Friday. Thank you. Thank you. All right, Randy, you ready? Ready. Here we go. Which current NFL quarterback is tied for the second most pick sixes thrown in NFL history with 29? Um... I will uh, I'll do the lifeline here, sir. Andy Dalton, Derek Carr, or Matthew Stafford? So I remember Stafford throwing a bunch. Carr hasn't played long enough to throw 29 pick sixes. I'll go with Matthew Stafford. Happy birthday to both Peyton Manning and his idiot kicker, Mike Vanderjack. Mm-hmm. Which team did the Colts lose to in the 2005 playoffs when Vanderjack shanked a field goal wide right with 18 seconds remaining? 2005 playoffs. 
that seems to be the uh, the Ben Roethlisberger game. It seems like that might be the Steelers, right? They went to the Super Bowl that year and played against Seattle. So I will say that uh, the Colts and uh, Manning complained about his protection issues that day too. And then the idiot kicker. I'm going to say that that was the Colts losing to the Pittsburgh Steelers. All right, Randy, who is the only player to be named most outstanding player of the men's NCAA tournament three different times? It's one of two guys. And, boy, it's either Kareem or Walton. I'm going to go with uh, Lou Alcindor. Who is the only coach in men's NCAA tournament history to win a championship at two different schools? There's only one? Hmm. Well, uh, it seems like Rick Pitino won for Kentucky and for Louisville. That's interesting that there's only one. Larry Brown won at UCLA. No, he lost at UCLA and didn't. He won at Kansas and lost at UCLA. Uh, So no Larry Brown. None of the... Well... Roy Williams, he won at Kansas. There's really only two, only one that's won at two places. Roy Williams won at KUN in North Carolina. So I'll go. Go ahead. What you got? I'll, I'll go with Roy Williams, but I'm pretty sure Patino has won at two places. Well, luckily, we have a winner. Good. Did Randy Carriker take down Josh? We're going into a weekend a little bit nervous. Ring that bell. The winner and still champion of the fight, Randy Carricker. Just win, baby. There you go. It was a 3-2 win for Randy Carricker. Good job in a fight today, Josh. It's tough to get those two right. It's hard to get that third one. That would have sent us to another tiebreaker, our third this week. But nice try today in the fight, Josh. And uh, let's let's just jump right to number four. I was going off an AP um, 2023 list of NCAA tournament facts. Yeah, and they kicked Roy, out Rick Patino as the only one who's won two. Roy only or won. Or won at two different schools. Roy only won in North Carolina. He never okay. won at Kansas. So Rick Patino is the correct hmm. answer for number four, obviously with Kentucky and Louisville, as you said. And again, that, that was a uh, a poll or a list of NCAA tournament facts that AP kicked out like a week and a half ago that I was basing that off of. Just just Roy, saying what my source is. Roy didn't win at Kansas. You are correct. Okay. Um, <laughs> That, that I went off that and I double checked yeah. a couple coaches because obviously you have you know you, like you said you have Larry Brown um, I checked a couple of ones I think I might have actually just completely missed on double checking the Roy Williams one but that was where I where I got that question Rick Pitino was the answer I had um, back to number one which current NFL quarterback is tied for the second most pick sixes thrown in NFL history it is Matthew Stafford he's behind oh just our least favorite person right now in Brett Favre who has thirty two happy birthday to both Peyton Manning and his quote unquote idiot kicker Mike Vanderjack it was in fact the Pittsburgh Steelers in the divisional round. When he shanked that kick, the Steelers eventually would go on, like Randy said, to win the Super Bowl. The only player to be named most outstanding player of the men's NCAA tournament three different times is, in fact, at the time, named Lou Alcindor. Those three in a row for UCLA. Bill Walton, by the way, did win two in his run. And the only coach, uh, according to this AP list in the men's NCAA tournament history, to win a championship at two different schools is, in fact, Rick Pitino with the Louisville-Kentucky special. I was giving the Jayhawkers too much credit. The Jayhawks didn't win one. But there is a, a, a caveat. There could be an asterisk because the Louisville one was actually vacated. That's 
te- oh, technically true. Uh, but I mean, do we not? I'm just saying. Do we not count Reggie? I mean, I, I put Reggie Bush in like all the Heisman list when I do that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not holding it against him. So a three-two win for Randy Carricker. The only one he got uh, incorrect was number four. So I'm sorry, Josh. Uh, it is a another win for Mega Mind. Thank you so much for joining the show and joining the fight, though. Good job, Josh. Josh. Good to have you with us here on 101 ESPN. (laughs) Coming up, it's our weekly visit with our buddy Joe Vitale. The Blues headed out west. Let's see how how awake Joey is this morning. I'm sure he's doing great. He's next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. We're talking everything St. Louis Blues as we head into the Blues booth. Presented by Boardwalk Hardwood Floors, a proud partner of your St. Louis Blues. Find your perfect new floor at our four convenient locations and online at BoardwalkHardwood.com. The Blues with an impressive win in Detroit last night. Now they head out west. Take on the Ducks and the Kings over the weekend. Joe Vitale is standing by. I assume the Blues are going to head from Detroit to L.A. today. Uh, Joe Vitale, good morning, first of all. Second of all, there's an old Steely Dan song where one of the lyrics is, California tumbles into the sea. It appears as if that's happening in Southern California. <laughs> I, I don't know that song, Randy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I sure hope it's not. Although I hear that, I hear it is sinking. Yeah. I, I don't think it'll happen in our lifetime, but... You know, the same thing I think is happening in Venice, Italy. From what I understand, the water's rising in Venice and the sea and the city that was built on the sea is gonna be underwater here pretty soon. But like I said, I, I sure hope it doesn't happen in our lifetime. Yeah, well I hope it doesn't happen this weekend, but I mean homes in <laughs> homes uh, on the on the cliffs in Orange County are literally falling into the water there. Oh, is that right? Jeez, yeah. I gotta I gotta get caught up on the Well, I guess we're not gonna go to Orange County. We should probably we're seeing by Disneyland. You know what? When you're staying by Disneyland, life's always good. You know, I'm going to stay away. I'll it's, stay away from all the other areas, I guess. It's the world's happiest place, Joey V. It, it, well, that's not true. Disney World. <laughs> oh, Disney World okay, is okay. there. Come on. Yes. Disneyland, I've been there. You know, it's it, it's fine. It's like going from it's like going from Louis on Demand to get an Italian dinner, and then you stop off at the Olive Garden the next night. You know, that, that's Disneyland. Oh, wow. Why, why is Disneyland Sorry. lesser than? What, what, the uh, point to the left. Why is Disneyland lesser than Disney World? I'm going to tell you exactly why. Walt Disney, when he had his vision to build Disney World, he wanted to do it in an area where there wasn't a lot of other buildings and just uh, life and society around it. He wanted this. He wanted this this picturesque place where, when you're in Disney World, if you ever think about it, when you're in Disney World and you look around, what do you see? You just see you just see grass and you see trees. And even when you get up really high on rides, you look out and there's really hardly anything you see. You don't see buildings. You don't see bridges. You don't see construction. It's just land. And, and Walt Disney did that up for a reason. And and they're only going to build so much on Disney World's property in Orlando. Because he wanted to set the image that people are actually in a completely different world. And when you're in Disney World, I think a lot of people in Orlando can relate to this, you feel like you're in your own little world. Now, the thing about Disneyland is, yes, you're in this wonderful park and they have similar rides, and in some ways better rides, but then you walk out and you're in, you're in Anaheim, California. This is like, you know, uh, people kicking down the street and yelling at each other. There's Starbucks across the street. This is the Olive Garden of all places. You know, you don't necessarily feel like you're in a world, Randy. So that, that's my only thing with the Disney World, Disneyland uh, dilemma or, I guess, debate here. <laughs> That's that's pretty good. You know, Joey, I, I always like, because I never know where you're going to take things. And I don't know if you've ever listened to the comedian 
Theo Vaughn, but he's almost the same way. You remind me some sometimes of him. It's really, really good stuff. Well, I wanted, wanted to ask you about Joel Hofer. Obviously, another great performance from him with 27 saves. But also what impressed me is how he handled, you know, when they were able to score two against him, the way that he was able to settle in and really didn't affect him impressed me as well. What did you think about his performance and how he's doing? And also, what are your thoughts about Jordan Bennington not being the backup, too? Well, Brooke, I, I agree with you with being down 2 nothing, and we saw some fight. You must have been listening to the broadcast last night, Brooke, because that's what I said. So I appreciate you listening. <laughs> I do uh, listen. Oh, no, that was probably, yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, that was, that was something we, we really hadn't seen in his call-up. We saw him shout out the Winnipeg Jets. We saw him go the distance there. We saw him go up against the, the, the league's best. And Alex Ovechkin shut that down. So you're looking for little tests. You're looking for little signs of, is this kid, does this kid have the guts? Does this kid have what it takes? And last night, what we saw that we hadn't seen yet was he got kind of pushed into a corner. Detroit came out humming along. We weren't ready to play. Detroit was. They got on the board twice. Uh, even Jake Wallman, the former Blue, uh, made it 2 nothing early in the game. All of a sudden, you look at the scoreboard. There's 18 minutes to go in the first period. They're already down by two. And the good news was, at the time, there's still a lot of hockey ahead of you. But we didn't know exactly how you know, Joe Holford was going to respond. And aside from that six-on-five uh, advantage goal there late, late in the game to make it 4-3, he shut the door completely. So it showed his, it showed his attitude. I think it showed his, his grit, his determination to fight back in the game, keep his team in the position to not go to three. And then, of course, that's where the Blues took over the game number one. And, you know, Jordan Bennington, it's a situation last night. He didn't even back up last night. I think a lot of people were a little anxious about why that is. Uh, it, it was actually just simple. Uh, Craig Berube, just a good grasp on this team. He wanted Thomas Grice to back up, of course, returning to Detroit. They knew they were going to have a little bit of a jumbotron uh, recognition to Thomas for his time in Detroit. And it also got Jordan Bennington a little extra work there in the morning. You know, it's, it's funny. You, you look at the suspension of Bennington, the timing of it all, then Joel Holford gets called up. I've been reading, uh, been reading this book, and it kind of re- relates to this. It's called The Region Beta Paradox. It was a, it's a theory created by Dr. Daniel Gilbert. And essentially what it states is that in life, sometimes things have to get really bad before they get good. And he used a simple example where if you have a job in a city and you, and you, and you live a, a mile from your workplace, you walk, you walk to work. And then if for some reason, if you get fired from that job and you get a new job, and then all of a sudden you live two miles away from your new job, that's a bad thing, right? Because then you can't walk anymore. But then you decide, well, I can bike. And in some ways, it's better because now you can get there actually faster biking two miles than walking one mile. And, and, and you see this all, all over the world, guys. You see this in relationships. You know, sometimes you're in a relationship where, you know, it's not, it's not great. It's not spectacular. It's not like Leo and Kate Winslet from Titanic type. <laughs> but, but then again, it's not bad. Like, they're not abusive. She's She's not yelling at me. He's not, he's not scolding me. It's not terrible, right? Um, so you just kind of stay in this, like, okay zone, right? And they kind of call that that comfortably numb zone where life's just okay and you kind of just stay in that zone. And in order to things to get better sometimes, sometimes things have to get worse, like you break up with your girlfriend or you get fired from that job. And I think for the suspension, it kind of plays along to this paradox where in life and hockey, sometimes things do have to get worse before they get better. Yes, he gets suspended. Now Joe Holford gets called up, and now we see that this is the backup, and he's going to split time with Jordan Bennington next year. He is ready for the NHL. 
Joey, I need your help. So you, you seem to be a very attentive man. You pay attention to, to, to many things and many people. You, you're, you're, you're always engaged when people are talking. My coaches often tell me uh, that I'm not there. I'm just I'm listening, but I'm, it's like white noise sometimes. They talk so much it becomes white noise for me, and I just tune it out. How do I become more attentive to make sure that I'm engaged in the conversations that are being had, that I'm in, but I'm just not present? <laughs> that's uh that's a pretty interesting one, Carrie. <laughs> my, uh, my wife my wife always tells me that I never uh, uh at times I can never really listen to her or maybe I don't uh, I'm not always engaged. But you know, at times, you know, I think this uh you know, just being curious about the other people, the the sense that they have they have something you can learn from. Mm-hmm. And that's and that's where I with my kids, I really see this where I think children have this amazing imagination where you, if you really look at a child, they can sit there and ride a broomstick and act like they're flying through the air. <laughs> it's kind of amazing when you think about it and, and to try to put yourself in their shoes. And, and I think we're all kids inside. And I think the world kind of beats us down to the point where uh, we end up putting all these, these basically these shields over what we truly are. And, and I, I look at our, our children, and I think that's probably the best way to, to show it. They're the closest thing to creation, and they're so raw, and they're so creative. And as we get older in this crazy world, we kind of lose that. So uh, I, try to, I try to be like a kid and be curious as much as I can. I try to not piss my wife off as much as I can as well. I, mean, that's, that's really, I wake up every day. I tell you what, Chris Rock had the best bit. <laughs> He, he, he said, he said, the secret to a, he, you know, Chris Rock, the secret to a happy marriage, man. I wake up every day. I look, I look myself in the mirror and I say, <laughs> and it's, and it's, you have to look this up. You have to look this up. Uh, so goes, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm talking about. He goes, yeah. he goes, he goes, he goes, I tell you, he goes, heck with you. I won't use the exact language, but he goes, heck with you. Heck with you. Now let's go out there and try to make her happy. I swear. People look it up on YouTube. It is the best advice. I can give any man put yourself in here every day and say it's not about you go out there and try to make her happy Joey V you're the best we know that you guys got to get out the door so we appreciate your time this morning have uh, safe travels and we'll hear you guys tomorrow from California and be careful in California because it's a weather emergency yeah apparently there's uh, there's, there's hill sliding off okay well I'm going to have an average time in Disneyland I wish I was in Disney World <laughs> you guys have a great weekend alright brother take care that is the great Joe Vitale here on 101 ESPN. Hey, don't forget that we're going to be broadcasting live from the Budweiser Brew House inside Ballpark Village next Thursday for opening day. The Cardinal home opener is finally here, and we're going to be set up just steps away from the stadium. The opening drive, BKM Ferrario, and the Fast Lane, all broadcasting shows live from Ballpark Village. Our opening day coverage brought to you by Rawlings, Green Envy Lawn Care, and by Budweiser. Coming up next here as we roll on on 101 ESPN, We'll have our rush hour reset. Look at what happened last night with the Blues and with the NCAAs here on one. You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Live from the Car Shield Studio, this is the opening drive on 101 ESPN. It's time to break down the biggest sports story of the day on the opening drive with today's big thing. Brought to you by Clubhouse Turf, your exclusive partner of Celebrity Greens. We're redefining private golf.
It's 9.04 in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler with Brooke Grimsley and Super Bowl champ Kerry Davis. I'm Randy Carricker. It is great to have you with us here on 101 ESPN, and it's time for our Rush Hour Reset. The Cardinals announcing yesterday that Adam Wainwright will miss a little bit of time, several weeks with a groin injury. And we talked a lot, guys, about the Cardinals' sixth starter and John Mozeliak telling reporters yesterday that it looks like Jake Woodford will get the opportunity. But I talked to Michael Gersh earlier in the week, and he's going to appear on Fox 2 with us at 1130 on Sunday night on the 101 on Sports, the inaugural edition of that program. And I asked Gersh about the Cardinals' approach to sixth, seventh, eighth starters. So I think one of the things that's hard to talk about in terms of like a sixth, seventh, eighth starting pitcher is is that it depends on when it happens and it depends on how long we know it's going to, like if an injury happens and a guy's got to start tomorrow, the honest answer is whoever was lined up to start for Memphis tomorrow is probably going to come up and take the start, right? Whereas if there's an injury where we have five days to reset our minor league roster, our minor league rotation or pull a guy out short from a start so he's out, he's rested, the numbering of six, seven, and eight is less important than the sort of the, the logistics of when actually we need an extra starter or when the doubleheader pops up or when whatever it is that, that makes that an issue. So I think the good thing is that, you know, Woody has pitched great and, and, and Jake will be, you know, have a role somewhere. Libertor has pitched well. Libertor has improved some of his uh, the attributes of his fastball, which is great. Um, Graceffo has looked good. Uh, Connor Thomas has looked good. Um, so we've got we've got options. The Cardinals will have a deep starting rotation down at Memphis, and like Gersh said, essentially what's going to happen is if a guy gets hurt. They're going to just go next man up. Whoever's in the rotation set to go down at Memphis will come up here and pitch. Well, and Jake Woodford has earned that, right? Mm-hmm, I mean, he's pitched so well. He has a 2.04 ERA and also a team-high 18 strikeouts. He's tied with Steven Matz for a team-high in innings pitched. He's been fantastic. And honestly, I kind of wanted him to see him as a starting pitcher here soon to start the season. So I feel like it works out. You do not like to see Adam Wainwright getting hurt. But as I said earlier, you'd rather have this happen early on rather than middle of the season, later in the season, when you think about, do we have to go do something to get another starting pitcher? Also, Steven Matz has been really good. I feel pretty secure in our starting pitching staff so far. See, I, I, I did. I was feeling really good about it. And then uh, you Flaherty pitching 90, uh, having 90 pitches in four innings a couple of days ago. Obviously, Wayne Wright going down. We still believe Michael is, is, is going to do a great job and be a horse and, and eat up innings. Um, but... It, that kind of gave me a little bit of hesitancy, just seeing what I've seen in spring training. And and as you said, some of those guys going down, I thought Matthew Libertor would be a guy that would be on the roster as a maybe a long reliever type of person, but he was sent down. It's going to be um, – I think the pitching is going to be the one thing that if it's not all the way – 100% healthy and 100% playing at the best of their capabilities, you're going to have some struggles in some games in where if you had better pitching, as some of these other teams do, they would be, it'd be a much better off team. Well, at first, I did think, too, like, okay, you got to find a way to keep Matthew Libertor up here, right? You could even use him as, like, a long relief guy in the bullpen. But honestly, I think sending him down works because guess what he's going to do in Memphis? He's going to start. Yeah. So you're going to have him ready to go when needed. And so the Cardinals will have Wainwright back, too, at some point in the season. That's a, another big part of this. And they do need 
uh, fifth starter right off the bat. Other baseball news, by the way, the Phillies lost their first baseman, Reese Hoskins. <laughs> he will require knee surgery for an ACL tear yeah. in his left knee, so he's out for the year. I saw that when it happened. I saw the video of it. I said, yep, that tore his ACL. Popped. You could see it pop. Yep, and that hurts them a <laughs> yeah, lot. It popped. That hurts them a lot. Unfortunately. Mm-hmm. College basketball last night, an epic overtime game, Kansas State. Holds off Michigan State 98 to 93. UConn rolled Arkansas 88 to 65. Tennessee lets it get away in the second half, and Florida Atlantic beats the Vols 62 55. And an epic finish between Gonzaga and UCLA. Best defenders on the bench. Campbell. dominated the offensive glass. Chances are you'll get more than one opportunity. Walker for the lead. Julian Strother with one second left to win that baby. Feels good to win that way. Feels awful. (laughs) <laughs> to lose that way, it, it's that's a it's a tough way to go out in the tournament as one and done. Yeah. You don't want to have that you know have that happen to you. But right. if you're Gonzaga, you're definitely excited. By the way, that was seven seconds left, and then UCLA missed a shot, a three pointer. Campbell missed with one second left, and that was the last try of the game. But Campbell and then Strother trading three pointers, great finish for UCLA and Gonzaga. That's that's something that I always ask myself a couple of times, and probably see to you would know as a player. Is it worse to lose that closely when yes. it was just a small difference, or is it worse to get blown out? It's worse to lose because when you're getting blown out, if you're losing by, I, I've lost some games where we <laughs> took some some thumpings in, in in college, and it's like eh, by halftime you're like, oh, this is pretty bad. It, it's, it kind of gets it out of the way. It's just in the game already. Come on, let the let's go. But when you are in a game and it just happens on a last second shot, a last mm-hmm. second field goal. You know, a big play to, to to score a touchdown. Those are more gut wrenching than getting beat by forty. If you were never in the game, if you were if you were down that much, it didn't really matter. Um, but if you lose on a last second play, that those hurt more, always. And we have action tonight for you here on one hundred and one ESPN at. Uh, let's see, what time do we have? 5 o'clock pregame, San Diego State and Alabama, and then Xavier in Texas following that one here on 101 ESPN. The Blues with a victory last night, 4-3 in Detroit. The Blues down early, 2-0. They come back and take a 4-2 lead before winning 4-3. Joel Hofer outstanding again between the pipes for the Blues. Here's his coach, Craig Ruby. Yeah, he's, he did a good job again. Tough bounce on the third one with uh, coming out to play it, but uh, solid game all around. Gave us a chance to win. He always, at least in three games, has given the Blues a chance to win. That's all you can ask for. That's well, it. Yeah, and I liked what Joey said about the way that he his response really stood out to me, the way that he stayed composed. But also, too, give credit to the Blues. They played without Tory Krug and Robert Thomas. Robert Thomas was a late scratch due to illness in that game, too. So a good job by the Blues, who will play in Anaheim tomorrow night, and then they'll play at L.A. on Sunday. So another busy weekend for your St. Louis Blues. That is today's big thing, the Rush Hour Reset on 101 ESPN. Coming up, more college basketball. The Fighting Irish women team play Maryland tomorrow, and St. Louis and Niel Ivey is the coach at Notre Dame, and she joins us next here on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. (laughs) 
Welcome back to the opening drive on 101 ESPN. Brooke Grimsley, Kerry Davis, Randy Carricker, and we go to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line and the head coach of the Notre Dame Fighting Irish women's team, Neil Ivey, joins us, the ACC Coach of the Year, and her third-seeded Fighting Irish take on number two seed Maryland in the Sweet 16 in the NCAA Tournament. Coach, great to have you with us. How are you doing this morning? I'm great. How are you doing? We're excited. We're excited to have you on here in St. Louis. And I know you're all excited in South Bend about taking on Maryland. <laughs> yes, we are so excited. Um, obviously, super excited to still be dancing. And um, it's just been an incredible season, incredible year. And just looking forward to Saturday. Now, Coach, when I uh, when I talk to coaches, I'm always intrigued by who piqued your interest or their interest in coaching. And do you often find yourself using some of the same quotes and phrases that you heard while you were a player? Um, well, actually, I feel like I kind of just fell into this profession. Um, I wanted to stay around the game after playing in the WNBA, had another knee surgery. So um, I had the opportunity to coach with Kevin McGuff, who's the head coach of Ohio State. And then Coach McGraw called me back home to Notre Dame and got my first opportunity coaching here. And I just fell in love with just the relationship piece of coaching. And um, I loved being around the team, a team atmosphere, and loved mentoring and loved just um, developing players and so um, so I guess I, I, I didn't know I was going to be a coach and like I said I kind of just fell in love with it and I don't really have um, quotes I just I feel like I'm I'm very authentic so I kind of go with my heart a lot the way that I coach and the way that I lead so um, I like reading a lot of books and look books on leadership and um, I follow a lot of coaches and I have a lot of coaches I look up to but so I kind of just find inspiration from a lot of different areas. Well, I'd say that it's worked out for you, right? <laughs> the falling yeah. into it, yeah. Well, I noticed that after beating Mississippi State that you talked about your group's resilience. Having won a national championship with Notre Dame before, how far can resilience take you in this tournament? And what do you see in this group that makes them so resilient? Yeah, well, I, honestly, I feel like um, all of the adversity that we've had um, has just really forced my team to mature. It forced them to be in different positions, different roles that maybe they wouldn't have to be. Uh, speaking of my freshmen, um, I have a freshman that's starting. I have a 17-year-old came in early in Rowley that's playing major minutes um, and is a big part of what we're doing. Um, and so with the adversity um, and the injuries that we've, we've unfortunately had this season, it's kind of forced my team to just to really step up. And I honestly feel like when you – when there when there is adversity, there's that's always opportunities. Um, just the opportunity for my team, and you have to take advantage of that. So I do feel like the resilience is just going to come because we have to just we have to be in the moment. You know, on Saturday versus Maryland, we we don't know what to expect. March is crazy. Um, it's called March Madness for a reason, <laughs> and <laughs> you have 40 minutes to be able to advance. And so when you're in that type of um, situation, you're going to do whatever it takes to win. And um, that's kind of the energy that we're playing off of right now. Now, having won a championship as a player and as, a, as an assistant coach, that gives you kind of a, a little bit more insight to, to talk to your players when they're going through maybe some of those rough patches. Have you have been able to have some of those moments and, and really have a clear picture of how to get them back on track if they're, if they're getting out of it? Oh, absolutely. You know, that's what the fortunate part for me. Um, I, I won a national championship, but it was a hard road. I, I went through two ACLs. I really struggled, and, um, and I had to go through a lot. And I had to really rely on my faith. Um, and going through a lot of the adversity that I went through, it, it helped me grow into a stronger woman, a stronger player. Um, I had to find my confidence of, in 
it was completely diminished, you know, after going through two ACLs. I had to start from scratch twice. And so I utilized those experiences um, and my strength and my faith as I coach and the experiences I tell the team. And, you know, they know my story, so they know, like, I'm standing in front of them with somebody that's gone through it, and um, it definitely wasn't easy. And so I try to I try to share those moments with them, the way that I lead them and the, the conversations that I have with them and, you know, even with our injured players, Darren, Olivia, like I'm talking to them every day about um, how they are feeling, and and I want them to make sure that they feel a part of what we're doing because I was once in their in their shoes. My first year, my rookie, my freshman year, we went to the the team program went to the first Final Four, and I was sidelined with the ACL, and I know how that felt being on the side, and so I try to make sure that they always know like there there's a there's a reason for everything, but also we're not we're here because of the the commitment and the work that they put in to help us get here. Well, and it's all about people stepping up, and somebody who's really stepped up is grad transfer Lauren Ebo, who broke a program record for the most rebounds in an NCAA tournament with 18 in that victory against Mississippi State. How big has she been for you this season, and how quickly she just assimilated with this group? Yes, I mean she's been just the most amazing addition. I knew coming in um, the caliber player that she was going to be for us. Um, she helped Texas go to two elite eights. Um, she has a ton of experience, and she's one of the most dominant posts in the in the game. You don't have those true back to the basket posts. They're kind of a dime. They're, there's not many of them, and I knew that we were getting um, a gem by getting her here. And I was I lost you know my Dotson last year, so I lost a lot of scoring inside um, and um, rebounding and defense. And I felt like she brought that, and she's just been phenomenal for us. And I, I love how she's just kind of peaking right now. She battled some injuries. Um, you know, it's been an up and down year for her because of her injured her um, some injuries that she's um, battled. Um, but I know right now she's playing desperate. Um, you know, this is it for her, and she's doing a great job of leading us. St. Louis and Neil Ivy is the head coach at Notre Dame on their way to play Maryland in the Sweet 16. And Neil, as you know, growing up here, the high school is a big thing. You played at Corriezu. Do you still feel a lot of love from St. Louis and from your high school? Oh my gosh, so much love from St. Louis. Um, <laughs> When we played, we had our the first t- nationally televised game on NBC, and we played Cal. So we actually played another St. Louis in Sharman Smith, and um, and that was down. We played downtown, and that was an enterprise building, and it was just phenomenal. I had our high school um, put on um, hosted us, and we had a practice on that Friday at my high school, and it was packed. They had we had our band, our leprechaun there, and they just did a phenomenal job of making me feel so so loved and so so supported. They've always, I've always felt that way um, since I left um, Corazu. But it was really awesome to kind of bring my team to my hometown and bring them to kind of for them to see um, where I'm from and my roots. And um, so Corazu has just been phenomenal. I'm so grateful for the love that they've shown for for decades. Now, Neil, you've had a great career as a player. You're you're having a great career as a coach. But you have a young man, a, a son named <laughs> Jaden Ivy, who is the fifth overall <laughs> draft pick in, in last year's NBA draft. What can what can you tell us about him, and just how proud are you of him to see his progression, his maturation? Yes, well, just he's my pride and joy, and <laughs> I am just just I, I'm just so overwhelmed with 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 joy and gratitude for him and. Um, to watch him to, to to be living his dreams right now, he's always told me growing up, Mom, I want to I want to play in the NBA. Like he obviously he was he was around the game so much with me having him in the gym and with my profession and career. Um, but that was something he always told me, like I'm I'm gonna make it. And he and he was so um, he was so adamant about that and his drive and his determination and his work ethic. Um, I knew from back when he was younger, like he was gonna be special. And just just to see it all come to 
um, for come to fruition. And you know, obviously, it's a lot of it's a lot of luck, it's a lot of grace, it's a lot of favor, um, God's favor. But he he is just um, he's just in, he's living his dream. He's in his element, and he's in Detroit, so he's only about three hours away. So I can still support him, and that's my balance. For the balance for me is for me to be a chance to for me to have the opportunity to be a mom. And you know, in high school and grade school at Purdue, and now in the in the NBA, I get I get a chance to just sit back and just um, watch him and support him and love on him and pour into him. So it means a lot to me, and I'm just again so grateful and so proud of him. That's fantastic, Neil. You mentioned that there is madness, and two number one seeds were knocked out before we got here to the round of sixteen. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you tell your team as you go through all of this? Because it is so unpredictable uh, about tempo, about uh, maintaining what they do and, and do it best. How do you approach this game? Yes, um, you know, I kind of just talked about just you know obviously where we are, and I'm just I talk about. Um, the growth that we've had and the resilience and the toughness um, that we displayed the last couple of weeks, especially the last two games. And, um, and I talked about just believing right now is like, you just have to have confidence in your group. And we have a lot of confidence in what we're doing. We believe in each other. We play for each other. And um, that's the energy that I, that we, that we are, we are having right now. And I just tell them my message is like anything is possible in the March Madness and any, anything is possible right now. And like you mentioned, like two number one seeds going down, it just kind of shows that uh, this tournament is wide open. There's a lot of parity, and um, we're just excited that we have another opportunity um, to do what we love, and um, we're going to be ready on Saturday. I just wanted to ask you one last question because it's Women's History Month, and obviously you've had so, so much success and you have a lot more to go, but any advice that you would give to any woman out there who wants to consider pursuing your career path or any female that might want to go in a male-dominated industry? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm always, I always say just obviously to dream big. I think that's my main motto and mantra because I never imagined myself being the head coach of Notre Dame. I never imagined myself being the first African-American um, assistant in the NBA of the Grizzlies and um, I just kind of let my purpose and my passion lead me and that's the kind of the reason why I'm in this position I um, have put in a lot of work behind the scenes but um, you know I'm very determined I'm very passionate about um, being the best and just believing in myself and having confidence that I can do anything I put my mind to so that's pretty much my message um, and I'm living proof of that because I've, breaking, I've broken a lot of barriers that if you asked me 20 years ago, I would have never thought that uh, my life would be um, where it is right now. And I'm just, again, a lot of grace, a lot of God in this. Um, and um, I've had a lot of support and a lot of mentors and people that have paved the way before me. So I'm, 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 I'm really grateful. Neil Ivey's Notre Dame Fighting Irish taking on Maryland at 1030 in the morning on ESPN on Saturday. And Neil, your hometown is going to be rooting for you. Thanks so much for the time. We do appreciate it and good luck. Thank you. Thank you so much. That's the St. Louis and Neil Ivy, and her club is in action tomorrow at 10.30 a.m. here in St. Louis. And you can see the Fighting Irish on ESPN against Maryland. Brooke, Carrie, Randy, coming up here on 101 ESPN. Is the Cardinal rotation depth already being tested? That's coming your way on the opening drive. You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers.
announcing yesterday that Adam Wainwright has a groin strain between a level one and two out of five, and he will miss what they say is several weeks. Yesterday on the balloon party, John Denton of MLB.com joined Tim McKernan. You know, yeah, it, it happened on Tuesday morning in the weight room. From my understanding, Wayno got in a side session on Tuesday, uh, thinking that he would probably start tomorrow in West Palm Beach against the Nats. But you know, and then he went and did a weight room session, and that's when he pulled the pulled the groin. And you know, there's no firm t- timetable, but but Ali Marmol did say, you know, we we all know what a groin strain means. Uh, he mentioned several weeks a couple of times. You know, that so. You're, you're looking at probably close to a month uh, with, with him being out. And, you know, when that's the case, then he probably needs to go do a rehab start. Uh, you know, he, he his arms built up. He's ready to go for the season. But, you know, if you if you take a month off to, to get your legs right, it's probably going to need a, a, a rehab start to get his arms right again. And for his part, here's what Adam Wainwright had to say about the situation. I think for this first week is I'm going to be doing mainly like, you know, on my knee, just keeping my arm going. But I'm conditioned up to 60-something pitches and four up and downs. You know, I could have easily gone both my last two starts. I could have gone another inning at least. So my arm is conditioned in a pretty good spot to be able to build really quick. So I'm just going to keep it somewhere close to that so that I, when, uh, when it's time to stretch out and I can put a little more pressure on my leg, I'll be able to. And Adam Wainwright was, even though he was going to start opening day for the Cardinals, he was nominally a, a back-of-the-rotation pitcher to start the season. And now the Cardinals will turn to Jake Woodford, who did have a sensational spring, and they have some young pitching depth. Now, they've had young pitching depth in the past mm-hmm. that hasn't worked out. They've had Daniel Ponce de Leon, and they've had Johan Oviedo, and they've had uh, the John Gant that hasn't worked out in the past. Now they're hoping that this works out. And oh, by the way, the one thing that I really wanted the Cardinals to get in free agency after they signed Wilson Contreras was a starting pitcher. Yep. Well, now they're going to have somebody who's inexperienced trying to take the reins there at the back of the rotation. Yeah, and you are, I mean, that, I think that's the one thing that I am uh, concerned about is the, the, the starting rotation and the pitching depth in general. Just making sure that I, I still believe in Flaherty that he's going to be okay. The, the the 90 pitches concerned me a little bit in four innings, but hopefully come opening day, regular season, we're ready to roll. Steven Matz has looked outstanding this spring training. He is he is the guy that, you know, last season I wasn't too sure on. He, I wasn't too high on. But watching him, watching the pace at which he pitches, I am excited for him. Jordan Montgomery, Jordan Montgomery has kind of been a little bit up and down this spring, but I think based off of what he did last season, we can believe that he's going to be okay. And Miles Michaelis is, is Miles Michaelis. He's going to give you 200-plus innings, and he's going to do his job day in and day out. You don't really have much concern with him. And so now you're looking at that fifth starter. If Woodford is the guy, if Libertor gets a chance, I don't think Dakota Hudson – I think Dakota Hudson has pitched himself out of that opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a little bit of a question mark there. You know, maybe three and four, three, four and five, you're trying to figure out exactly what we are and what we're going to do. And because he pitched in Italy, Brooke Palante is not stretched out. That would have been another nominal opportunity for a guy. But he just doesn't seem to be stretched out at this point with a week left in spring training for the Cardinals to be able to – give him an opportunity. Well, and then in situations like this that pop up that it makes a lot of sense as to why you you mentioned earlier this week that Brad Thompson brought up that maybe there was some frustrations as to why Palante went and played for Italy. And now you're kind of seeing that plan unfold here because I think the biggest concerning aspect to me is what is going to happen to the Cardinals bullpen? How are things going to be moved around? 
also another injury that was announced was Wilking Rod- mm-hmm. Rodriguez as well, too, with a shoulder injury. So it will be interesting to see how this shakes out. As for Woodford... To me, it makes sense. I've liked his stuff. I even liked him last year. I thought he really proved himself. He was definitely a journeyman. We liked in a him lot more of than ways. the Cardinals did, don't you? Think? <laughs> I felt like it. I felt like it. I mean, he hit, and he's done everything that you've asked him to. Him and Steven Matz has have been absolutely fantastic um, through spring. You just hope that they can continue that production going into actual real games. And. This is going to be really big early in the season. Ho- hopefully, you'll be able to get some innings out of Michaelis. Mats looks like he can give you innings. The other day, Montgomery looks like he can. But because Woodford is in the rotation now, you don't really have a long reliever either. You're down in the bullpen, it's Helsley, Gallegos, Hicks, Palante, Thompson, Henesis uh, Cabrera at the moment, and Stratton are there. So you don't have that Jake Woodford that can give you three or four innings. So this is interesting. Somebody texted this in, and Randy, I want to get your reaction on this. It's a good thing the Cardinals signed some extra pitching this offseason. <laughs> it's also a good thing they gave Wayno a $17 million contract. <laughs> I saw several people posting this yesterday, and I don't know if you noticed, I even saw Wayno reacting to some people where he's like, wow, that's interesting. They, I think he wanted to do that to show people you say something people are going to see it, mm-hmm, right? right? That he's an actual human being with feelings. But I want to get your reaction to that, Randy? Well, number one, I would have liked to have seen the Cardinals get, I would have liked to have seen the Cardinals re-sign Quintana. I would have liked to have seen them have another veteran starter for the sixth spot. But Adam Wainwright last year performed beyond a $17 million salary. And in fact, he has for the last three years. Adam Wainwright at $17 million for this year is a bargain. He's a middle-of-the-rotation guy, and that's the going rate for a middle-of-the-rotation start. The Cardinals actually have a bargain in Stephen Matz at $11 million a year. But if you're wanting to get good pitching, and Adam Wainwright pitches well, you're going to have to pay for it. And so that's why he got $17.5 million. Do any of these injuries, if, if there is another injury that occurs and, and you have guys missing you know, more time, does that speed up the clock? Does Gordon Graceffo get sped up? Does McGreevy get sped up? Or, or are you looking at... We got to make a trade because we got we got a lot of outfielders. We got some depth in the in the in the uh, starting lineup. We got some guys and some guys that are sitting on the bench. We got some depth there. Maybe we do need to go out and get a starting pitcher, or are we comfortable with what's in the in the minors? Teams just don't make trades early in the season. It mm-hmm. just doesn't happen. Uh, the last couple of years, there have been zero starting pitchers traded before a week before the trade deadline. None in either year. So that just doesn't happen. So what you're looking at is Libertor. You're looking at perhaps. For you, knock on wood, a rebound from Dakota Hudson to pitch the way he did after he came back from the minors last year. And then hopefully you can get a month to look at M- Graceffo and McGreevy and see how close they are to being ready for the major league level. Just going to throw this out there. I know and no one believes that this is a possibility, but there's a young man that is on the on the team right now in Jordan Hicks who has had the opportunity in the past. And I, I've said this time and time again. This is a gentleman that wants to be a starter or a closer. I don't believe, I don't believe he sees himself. We were talking about Chris Rock looking in the mirror. Mm-hmm. There is not a chance that Jordan Hicks looks in his mirror and he says, you are a middle reliever. Go out and be the best. He goes, he looks in that mirror and says, you are a starting pitcher or you are a closer. That's it. That's all. And there's another person. I know we talked about the control issues. 
if given the opportunity and you're put in a pinch and a squeeze, could he have an opportunity to to get a chance to start a game? Here's the thing. Last year, when Hicks was stretched out and ready to start, his first start, he goes three innings. His second start, he goes two innings. His third start, he goes three and a third. His fourth start, he goes four and a third. He does go five in his fifth start of the year, and then he goes four, he goes three, and uh, then he has to wait a while before he gets another start, goes one and two-thirds. He just doesn't give you innings, and he hasn't shown the ability at this point to be efficient enough to give you innings. When your longest start at the major league level is five, and then your second longest is four and a third, you just aren't giving your team enough of a chance. Yes. No. Another name that I want to bring up, and this doesn't have to do with the starting rotation, but just specifically another pitcher that I feel like isn't getting enough credit, is Andrew Suarez. Mm-hmm. He's been fantastic. Also, yesterday, he threw another shutout inning in the ninth. Nine appearances, nine total innings, no runs, six hits, and has struck out eight. You guys guffawed when I had him on my team a couple of weeks ago. I I did. I did. (laughs) I did, Randy. Guffaw. Laugh. A hearty laugh. A guffaw. (laughs) Yep. Learn something new every day. Guffaw. G-U-F-F-A-W. I apologizing for the guffaw. Uh, Hey, Here's what happened. My son is a huge San Francisco Giants fan. Mm -hmm. And so anybody who comes from the Giants, I see a lot of. Mm -hmm. And I like Suarez. I've always liked him with San Francisco. And he has really good stuff. And he gets left-handed hitters out. And that's what you're looking looking for from uh, a guy like that. So I think that he should be on the team. If he's not, then it's a disappointment. Uh, Guffaw, according to our friends at uh, Dictionary.com, a loud and boisterous laugh. Mm. Well, that's what you did. You you laughed loudly <laughs> and boisterously at me. That is what happened. Yep, no doubt right. about it. Randy was waiting for the moment to bring this up. Uh, yeah, it sure was. And no now you get to guffaw at us, right? There you go. <laughs> uh, coming up, we've got rock and roll, and we're going to give away some tickets, aren't we? We have tickets for Snoop that we're going to give away next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Let's rock. Let's rock today. Do you like concerts? We've got a big concert coming up in St. Louis this summer, and Carrie Davis has all the news about it. Yeah, Randy, we have your chance every day this week to win a pair of lawn tickets to see Snoop Dogg with Wiz Khalifa, Too Short, Warren G, and more at the Hollywood Casino Amphitheater on July 16th. Tickets are on sale now, or you can text in to win free tickets at 314-399-9646. You can also find a bonus chance to win tickets. Snoop Dogg takes under contest at 101ESPN.com or on the 101 Mobile mobile app and rock has your snoop trivia question for you to win those tickets all right yeah we learned a lot about snoop dog this week let's learn a little bit more and if you've gotten any of the other questions right you're definitely going to get this one correct call texter number 35 who texts in the name of snoop dog's debut solo album texter mm, number 35 like what was snoop dog's debut solo album i, might, wanted, I might even know that and if, you, <laughs> and, and if you really want some bonus points uh, put in what, re- what what record he released it with, hmm. or what album he really, or, or what record label he released it with. If you really want some bonus points, okay, because it's fun. Sounds good. All right, let's do rock and roll. Yeah, we're gonna be talking about City here. Obviously, they have a big game against Real Salt Lake, or as people are referring to them, and I like this better because it's not as stupid. RSL. You like that? Call the team RSL. How about Real Salt Lake? Why didn't say it the way it's spelled? 
I'm, I'm actually real. completely okay with saying re- real. real Salt Lake. Yeah, they don't deserve Real, so they're Real Salt Lake. Yeah. I like that. Well, uh, Bradley <laughs> Carnell uh, yesterday after training was asked about the health of two of the important players we've mentioned, Tim Parker and Jabol Oblam, and he talked about that yesterday. A little bit of caution, for sure. You know, the, the question mark remains, do we, do we risk... Tim Parker, you know, to play the game, or do we stand to lose him over more weeks? So uh, we still have a couple of hours before we make a decision, and you know, uh, we might think of adding somebody to the roster just to travel with with more numbers and just to make sure he's been released from uh, the health and safety protocols. Um, so, which is good news. Now, the the bad news is he's missed ten days, right? So. Uh, depletion, health, you know, your fitness, everything takes a bit of a whack. Um, So you have to make sure that, uh, yeah, how do you bring Jabulo on uh, accordingly? So for us, you know, um, we'll manage today, we'll manage tomorrow, and then make a decision um, if it it makes sense to bring him or not. And uh, listen, Jabulo at 60%, you know, still, you know, we still would like to see him in some form or fashion. By the way, it looks like John Bell, one of their uh, supplemental draft picks, would be the man they add to the roster as a center back in case that Tim Parker can't go. I'm still thinking it's kind of up in the air who would actually start at center back. John, uh, Yarrow seems like a good pick considering he was the captain of City 2 for so long and he yes. hasn't seen the field yet. Um, but either way, still up in the air what kind of full lineup City's going to have available to them in Utah. Well, and also Carnell said that now Jonathan Bell is ready to go 90 minutes, so I think that that's pretty telling, but I would like to see Yarrow as well get some time. It feels like he's earned it, and I love that that's why you have that MLS Next program too. You Why do you only get a guy, get a guy ready for 90? That's all they play. No. no it's not. <laughs> no. You watching? Are you watching the game? Well, extra, what is extra time? Tony LaRusso used to say play a hard nine. Sometimes you got to play a hard ten. Okay, yeah. Let's, so let's get a guy ready for 95 or 100, okay? <laughs> that's, a, that's a good point. And uh, 95 or 100. To Brooks' point, uh, Josh Yarrow almost got in the game last week, but then... Um, that was my story. I always almost got in the game. I think it was... I, I think <laughs> I was a kid. Uh, Tomas Ostrak <laughs> pulled his hammy, and so they had to pull him out of the game instead of putting Yarrow in for Lucas Bartlett, who will definitely be one of the starting center backs but also uh, Carnell was asked about going into a new game and how potentially these injuries could affect their versatility in their formations obviously use games strategically with different weapons and we have some good weapons in place so I mean Rasmus Alm poses a different threat to a Thomas Ostrak right so um, I think we've been able to show that against different opponents to bring on different players um, whether it's one striker, two strikers, I just feel that this group is is learning every single day uh, what's required from them. They're getting used to good rep, and they just everything's working. The depth continues to 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 show out, and I think Lutz, Randy, you were saying he's pretty confident in, in the roster he's built. Well, and one of the things they do when Mike Martz took over the Rams, he said, "Hey, we don't worry about what the other team does. We just worry about yeah. what we do," and that's the style that they play, and they're able to make it work and. When we were uh, talking, uh, I talked to Lutz during the course of the the, the week, uh, just about the, the style, and they love the way it worked. And this is all built around Berkey. Berkey is the key for this, and Berkey is the best goalie in the league, and that's why they're going to have an opportunity every game they play. Yeah, that pressing and every attacking match they play. every match, <clears throat> that pressing and attacking style has allowed them to. It, it puts pressure on the the opposing teams, right? It, it forces them to make uh, turnovers that that allow City to to get uncontested goals or or get the ball back. And I think that's the one thing that Lute said to us when he when before the season started. He said, "If the opposing team has the ball, we are going to get it back. Mm-hmm. That's our mentality. We're going to be attacking. We're going to be." Pressing. And if you aren't training for that, if you aren't preparing for that the way the city does, 
the opposing teams have a tough time of, of matching that intensity for a full 90-plus minutes, Randy. Yeah, and it's hard to, I would think, never having done it, but it's hard to prepare for that tempo, right? Yeah. When, you, when you face a team that plays tempo and the rest of the league is not, it's going to be hard to adjust to. You know what it reminds me of is uh, 40 Minutes of Hell with, with yeah. Arkansas basketball when they, were, when they were attacking people and not allowing you to get the – they were pressing the entire court and guys weren't able to get the ball up. It was a – when you're conditioned like that, it is a tough challenge for an opposing team to keep up with that pace. And I think that's what you're seeing St. Louis City do. They're just attacking, and the opposing teams are, are succumbing to the pressure. So they're well, number one on the table. Yes. So <laughs> then it almost begs the question, too, should we expect some more injury strains because of their high-pressing style and intensity? Um, also, just want to put in this, too. Blom is not going to be playing for South Africa as well. That's an important point because that was kind of concerning how contentious that was getting for a little bit. He said that, of course, he hopes that they will call him back next time, but he thinks it's important for him to get back acclimated with the team. Yeah, they're going to be, South Africa is going to be furious. If he, they if he, are. If he suits up and plays even like 60 minutes, South Africa's coach, I guarantee you, makes some kind of comment about City. He already said that he was going to planning yeah. on suing them. Yeah, and it's in the thing they do have technically UEFA, I mean, not UEFA, excuse me, FIFA because UEFA is just Europe. Uh, FIFA has rules about allowing players. So there's this is not a done story, I don't think, between those two. By the way, you mentioned how hard they work. I thought this was fascinating. Edu Leuven, who we had on the show a few weeks ago, he actually talked yesterday about the unbelievable difference right out of the gate he's noticed in training as opposed to uh, here as opposed to Germany. Good players are coming here, even young players. Uh, so I think the MLS is a great league for sure. Um, I didn't expect it to be so physical. So when I came here, I don't know, we had in Germany maybe once a week uh, in the gym and here we are starting before every training in the gym. So that was for sure a difference uh, for me. And also I think uh, technically there are a lot of good players. Um, yeah, so so I think this is this is really a good league. Carrie, how do you like that? That Once a week in the gym in Germany, every day before training they're in the gym here. This is America. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Welcome to America. Yep. Yeah. We're in the gym, baby. Yep. We're lifting. We're moving iron. You know? City is <laughs> at Real Salt Lake tomorrow. And the Battlehawks are at Vegas taking on the Hated Vipers. Uh, that game is also tomorrow at 6 o'clock. And that can be seen on FX tomorrow. So both of our expansion teams in action tomorrow night. It should be fun. Great job today by our producer engineer, the one, the only Matthew Rocchio. Pleasure. Uh, Brooke, fun week. It was a very fun week. Fun and fast. It's raced by. Well, it didn't feel fast. When you're not eating, Randy, it feels like it's dragging. I, I made it through. You we made it take through. a nap or yeah. you're going to get a workout in? Nah, I got to do some stuff. I got to go to the high school and help okay. and clean up some stuff. Coaches' inventory and all that good stuff that we do. Okay. Well, have fun with that. I will. Uh, and y'all have a good weekend. We thank you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show. For all of us, until Monday morning at 7. Have a great weekend, St. Louis. That's right. You've been listening to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN and ESPN.com. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers.